everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Silo. This is a Mangum Talks podcast committed to breaking down each and every episode of the Apple Plus TV series Silo. I am your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you? Uh, thoroughly caught off guard, but what was a surprisingly action-packed episode of the Silo. Speeding up, isn't it? Episode one and two is really what we call laying the base. We're laying the base for the silo, and now we're putting the sides of the walls up of the silo, starting to fill the floors out a little bit. It, hey, uh, it, it definitely increased the tempo, for sure. And our role in this podcast is to take those walls off, get into those turbines, and see how they work. And that is exactly what we got this episode. It was, a, it was a, you know, I don't think I expected tension the way that the show delivered tension this episode. I mean, that that scene where they're they're fixing the... The generator was like, for me, like edge of my seat stuff. And I, yeah, I did not expect that with the show. It, it was surprisingly tense. I have some engineering and, ther- and thermodynamics comments that I'll make later on that I, I kind of just roll my eyes and say, eh, it's a TV show. But it was it was effective tension mixed in with, again, the expanded mystery that the show is getting, you know, well regarded for in my mind. So, yeah, it was an enjoyable episode. I I, I would think I would rank it in the end my, my, my I'd rank it third but in a way that was still a good episode because the show is high quality. Are you ranking it third because you don't that because they're like engineering issues you have with that scene? Is that why you're ranking it ranking it third, or is the, it the, you just didn't? If you could, if you can possibly set that aside, what about the rest of it? Uh, no, that, the engineering concerns. I just, I just roll my eyes at whatever okay, else. Good. That, that, that's just, TV shows have to be TV shows. There's limits on how realistic certain things can just be practically be portrayed to be shown on screen. Whatever, comment on them, note them, pass them away. Just as a general episode, though, I would I would still put it would still I, I would say it was my my least favorite of the three, but perhaps because it had such more of an action focused rather than focusing on the uh, development of the mystery kind of thing as the way the previous two had. Interesting. Yeah, it was my favorite episode of the three so far because I felt like they they did a lot of groundwork to make you care about the world, the people, the processes, the system, respect the rules, respect the the fact. For instance, respect the fact that if the generator goes, 10,000 people die, right? Like, we know that now. Like that, There's a backup. <clears throat> that's it like, works fine. That's like something they've made us appreciate in the first two episodes. And then there's a payoff to it with how they develop the plot. That Like, I start, they, they've planted that seed, and now I give a shit about it when they're doing other things. So I thought it was really well constructed and made me excited for the rest of the season because I feel like they can it showed a range like they mm-hmm. can slow it down. They can do a lot of lore. They can do a lot of history of the world. They can do a lot of world building, but they can also have, okay, X, Y, Z is happening and get on the edge of your seat. We're going to like basically give you an action movie now, which is very much what this was. It was a, dis- it was a set- effectively, it reminded me of like those disaster movies, like, you know, volcanoes set in LA of where there is a yeah. problem. It's rapidly spiraling out of control and they need to do everything they can to prevent it from exploding and killing everyone. Remember Dante's Peak? You remember that? Movie? I do remember Dante's Peak. Yes, with Pierce Brosnan. Is it Pierce Brosnan? And do you remember Pierce Brosnan getting out of the boat and like having the acid like eat his legs as he pushed them across the pond or whatever? Do you remember that scene? Oh, yes, I do remember the scene. Even at the time I watched that, I'm like, some some aspects of this film are very entertaining, but don't seem realistic. Yeah, I, I didn't focus on that at all. I focused on just the general concept of like getting out into a pool of acid to like push your friends across the lake to make sure they survive stuck with me for years. Clearly I'm talking about it now, 30 years later. (laughs) Things I can rely on you to do while I sit very comfortably in the boat. (laughs) 
All right, let's let's jump into our recap. So we will do this episode like we do all episodes here on Breaking Down the Silo. I will lead the recap. Spencer will help me along. This week, it sounds like he's got some quibbles that he'll share. He'll share a couple quibbles a that we'll get. Just a few. Then we'll jump into best line of the episode, where I and I alone am emperor best line of the episode. But Spencer, every week, gamely supplies me with nominees for what is the best line of dialogue we got that week. Then we will go to Citizen of the Silo, where we award best citizen of the week. What there's citizen had the debate. strongest? Yeah, well, there's some there's some strong nominees this episode. Some people had some strong episodes, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then we will wrap up with theory time, where Spencer and Lee... Eh, that's right. I'll just start referring to myself in third person on the podcast. Spencer and <laughs> the, Lee... The royal you. Spencer and Lee just go to town, making theories, asking questions, mm-hmm. jumping into the lore, the backstory, the everything. And I'm sure the book readers like listen to that segment and think we're complete idiots. But guess what? We haven't read the books. So that's why it's fun. All right, Spencer, do you want to jump into recap? Damn straight. Let's do it. We start with a Foundation commercial. Hey, have I mentioned that Foundation's a good show? You, you, actually, you haven't talked about it as much. Where would you put it in terms of all the Apple stuff that we watch? It's really good. It's really good. It's, um, it is not, you, how about this? You ever, like, you ever watch a comedian and they could do an hour and you're like, a lot of funny stuff in there. It could have been 30 minutes. Yes. That's what Foundation is. They got to tighten. This sh- they got to tighten this show up. I think it's ten episodes a season. They've got to tighten it up. There's a lot of slow points, but it is a very interesting world that they build out. I tell you, Apple is like firmly on the sci-fi corner. Like they have just said, we're just going to make the best sci-fi shit now and fuck all the rest of you. And I am I, in for it. I think it's a niche that other people have kind of left to the wayside. Yeah, I, I absolutely appreciate it. Another thing I appreciate about Apple, since we're doing an Apple commercial, they're not paying us for. <laughs> not our sponsors. It's, not our it's sponsors. Fucking, it's fucking that iPhone 15 has a USB-C charger now, not a, not a lightning charger. I will be buying an iPhone 15. I, I love this concept of universal charging. Give it hey, to th- me. One charger for your, everything. Woo. Th- thank the European Union for this, that they've required and are imposing these standards on corporations there in a way that is bleeding over into other countries. I firmly appreciate it needs to apply to other products too. Thank you, European Union. A universal charger for all of your stuff sounds absolutely perfect. All right, so previously on Sheriff, uh, yeah? They, they also required Apple to recall the iPhone 12 due to radiation issues. So, you know, there's a lot of things involving European Union and Apple right now. Yeah, I mean, these big corporations do some sketchy shit, like how Apple was pushing out things to drain the battery of old versions of phones so that you'd have to buy a new one. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that that's just a shitty thing to do. But, my, you know, the first th- obsolescence. I mean, my, my counter is that when you have a trillion dollar company, like it's so big and so many people are making decisions and doing things in it. There's going to be missteps. That doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? Yeah, like they can right. still make good pro- products. It's just like they should have done that. That was shitty. Uh, it's, it's a mistake to assign morality in anywhere the same sentence of a corporation. The two don't overlap to any degree, both positive or negative. And when Spencer says that, he knows it, folks. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> knows it through his job, through his professional <laughs> career. You need to trust him when he says that. All right, so previously on, Sheriff is leaving. Sheriff's dead. What happens now? Chaos fighting. The fact that Holston nominated Juliet Nichols. Juliet Nichols, why her? Holston, Juliet, working on George's death. Some of the George flashbacks. We get the machine that built the silo. The hard drive they found at the end of the episode that was on a wire that George left. The fact that the badge is going to Juliet regardless of if she takes the job or not. The people if need they- to see the mayor. We hear my mayor. I love her mm-hmm. say that. And then we see Juliet falling down the pit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and the start of this episode is effectively a silent film on the subject of 
Juliet has had a very rough day. Yeah, that's basically what it is, is that we, we get they, they play around a little bit with a flashback in present day. I think the present day is her sitting in her room drinking alone. And the flashback is what she did when she fell down the hole, which was in essence, just climb back out of it. But it was hard. It was dirty. And it was scary for her. Um, I think one of the things that this this scene did, uh, because you might wonder like, well, why even show us that? Well, one, it shows that she is continuing to follow the leads that George left. That's one thing. The second is they want you to know she's scared of water. Why? Because the end of the episode happens. She's scared of water. It's important. And she overcomes it for the sake of doing her duty and fulfilling her obligations to protect the silo from greater harm. Because yes, Juliet fucking 100%. rules, and we're big fans of Juliet here. Both of us, one, two. We both love Juliet, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, moving on. I could have stood if they'd, if they, it, maybe like this was episode four and they'd set up her fear of water in episode three and given that a chance to breathe a little bit to make the moment of when she, you know, forces her way through it and later in this episode a little bit more effective and built up to. But it's still clear why they why they put this in here. Is this General Grievous? Is this is this just come on, guys? It's a little obvious. Like you just made her scared of water, and thirty minutes later she has to fight water to save the ten thousand people. Yeah, General a bit. Grievous. Can a we bit, yes. can we use that as shorthand on the podcast? This that is we, the General this Grievous. Is the General Grievous. It's just Done. too obvious. Done. It's in our canon now. Absolutely. Done. All right. Cut to a panning shot of the area Juliet fell in. Um, she staggered breathing she seemed scared cut to Juliet drinking and cut back to her climbing out of wherever she was back to her drinking she opens a closet gets out a clock back to George's dead body more drinking some of her memories of George yet more drinking hey Spencer I got a, just a wild theory here that they want us to know she's drunk I counted oh. six different drinking sequences from her in this like first three minutes that's a solid like 30% or more of, any, of anything we see in the first five minutes of this episode. Is She's drinking. She, every moment that is available, she is drinking. And a question to ask, are we to about believe drinking? from this episode? No, no, just about what we're showing us in the ah, episode with respect to her and her drinking. Do we feel that this is a recurrent problem that is now getting worse in this moment? Or is this new behavior? Um, so I, I, gotta, I, have, I can speak somewhat authoritatively on the subject of alcohol. Hmm. Um, this is not a drinker. They don't want, they're not trying to portray a drinker to us. They're not trying to portray somebody who knows how to drink or has experienced drinking. I doubt Juliet ever drinks. I'll bet she hadn't had a drink in two years because of the way she's doing it is not the way, look, it's not to say that people, it's not to say that like people who have a problem with alcohol who drink a lot, don't rely on alcohol in bad moments. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. But this whole like the door was open, she was vomiting out. This is fucking amateur hour. This is JV shit. This is not a real drinker. That's what I wanted to highlight. Is where I saw some people coming in line that oh, this is showing that she's got a recurring alcohol problem. No. See what they're exploring the episode. Like, no, I mean a lot of the setup here is this is a person that is on a bender, and people are commenting about how weird this is to see in her. It's the exact opposite, right? And also people who drink regularly their body gets used to it and they they actually don't feel hangovers like really acutely like it's just part of their every morning right, right? experience exactly she feels this hangover acutely that tells me that it's outside of the norm right i don't when, think there's a i don't think there's a moment fully in this episode of where she has fully overcome the hangover <laughs> i bet you i'll bet you you never see juliet drink again unless somebody else dies that's my bet Fair bit. We'll see. Um, just the way they set it up. They wanted you. I think that what they were trying to, to portray to you is that this is somebody who is 
absolutely at their at their wits end and is doing something abnormal for themselves like you said yeah between the Um, loss of the sheriff between now the rememory of the loss of george between confronted with the fear of father fear of water she's getting hit in all all, in all margins yeah uh yeah then we get the intro uh we get to the mayor walking the silo walking the silo can we do that like Mm -hmm. walking the mile Walking the silo, walking the silo, walking the silo, walking the silo. We hear Marnes. Uh, he says, should have known you'd be early. She tells him he looks tired already. I was hoping to meet Juliet Nichols before you keel over. He says, after you, and off they go down the silo. Spencer, you did ship these two 12 seconds into seeing them on screen together. This episode, you had to feel good about that, yeah. right? Well, and yes and no. I, I do. I, I did call it wrong up where I assumed they were already in a relationship. And it already was. The, the, the flirting was in many ways just, you know, reflecting the fact they're already I think they were. I think the implication at the end of this episode was that they were m- making steps to make that more official what has previously just been accepted flirtation. Who can say for sure? But clearly the two of them are, if they're not an item, they're looking to be. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the mayor... My this is my headcanon, and I, I, I will admit that I'm filling in a lot of blanks here that the show didn't give us. So I will just say that right away. But okay. my headcanon is that the deputy is in the reporting line to the mayor. The deputy mm-hmm. reports to the sheriff, who reports to the mayor. She can't be in an open relationship with him, so they have had this undercover affair for years. Is my guess. And that was my assumption going into this episode. And I'm curious to talk talk with you in some scenes we see later about okay. whether that still holds true from what we're seeing on the screen. Yeah. Okay. We can talk about. It. Um, so, but I believe um, we got it. So we got. I believe we get a shot of someone from judicial watching the mayor. It looked like mm-hmm. some people. It, it love how they with given the uniforms to judicial. It looked like somebody was watching. Okay. Her. It, it, it's interesting too. I had assumed, probably just due to top down bias. That judicial was at the top. Nope. That they were at the very top. Seems like they're like midway through the mids kind of thing. They're in the mids. Yeah. No, the mayor's at the top. Yeah. Um, so we get an alarm clock going off and Shirley, Juliet's friend, turns it off. She rubs Juliet's arm, who's still in bed, and asks her, you dead? Bet you wish you were. Come on, you're late. She asks Howard, how'd you get in here? She says, well, your door was open. You threw up in the hallway. By the smell of it, you threw up pretty much everywhere. She says, can we talk about something else? Her friend teases her a bit about being hungover. She asks why mm-hmm. Juliet is wearing the watch again. You going to tell me what's going on? You're not a drinker, Jules. See, even Ju- even Ju- Shirley has given, yeah. given the thing here. And she goes, not a good one, no. And she says it super softly and kind of sad. Her friend asks her, what's up? We see shaking. And Juliet immediately says, shit, my fix is failing. So the shaking is in the room. Like the things on the table are shaking. Like there's your ground's kind of shaking. And she says, my, sh- my fix is failing. So and, and this seems to be permutating the lower levels, but from what we see, not bleeding up farther into the structure yet. Yeah. Back to the silo and a big downward shot of it, the various levels. Then we see the mayor, Mayor Johns. Shut up, Mayor mm-hmm. Johns. She asks Marnes if he wants water. Marnes says yes. So they drink water from each other's packs. That is a very yeah. cool little system they've got. When you're when you're traveling with somebody, walk in the silo, walk in the mm-hmm. silo. When you're going down, mm-hmm. you have water on your back, water on their back. You get the water from their back. Why? Because it's easier to fucking grab. Perfect. Great system. It it is. It is. Grab's also a great way to get poisoned later. Let's nope. talk. We'll get to that. That would never happen. Um, no, no. These two these two are protected for all time. Your one true ship shall be always, you know. Per- perfectly removed from all potential harm of the world. I like to pretend that people watch the episode in five minute increments and then return to the podcast and watch five minutes. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I, I shall not now. allow it. <laughs> so uh, Martin says to her, start to get a little bit of hints of what's going on here. 
says, unless you dumped water to lighten your load, I think you got a leak. So like right right away, he's like, what's going on here? Martin's asked if she wants to say hello to the judge. He assumes a no, then says, but you do want to make sure her goons see you standing there. And that is exactly what our Mayor Johns did. She stood right at the door of judicial. She took a second, had some water, looked around, chose not to go in. It's a sign. It's a sign. Yeah, Tim Robbins later in the episode accuses her as being in a bit of a uh, a bit of a competition with judicial for authority. I'd about, say uh, this is an example of that. This is an example of this is one of several Daddy. examples I see in this episode of where I had not assumed that the mayor would be this willing to flex and assert some degree of independent authority over judicial. That kind of caught me off guard, but this is an early example of it. I enjoy a good political flex. I like it. I like that she's playing the game. I like that political wonk you are. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, I enjoy it because I mean, fuck. I mean, they they are they. We have one solid piece of evidence of it, but I think we can extrapolate that that they they clearly step out of their lane all the time. Fucking judicial. We see Uh them. We see them basically policing the streets at one point. We see them trying to force her hand as to who she's going to nominate for sheriff. They're all the scope creep of judicials all over the place. So I don't. I don't. You know. I, I don't. Um, I, 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 I don't I, fault her her impulse. Let me say it that way. I don't fault her impulse to fight the battle. Now, obviously, in execution, it doesn't work well because something happens to her. She ends up dead by the end of the episode. But I get the impulse. Yeah, her execution led to an execution before this episode was over. Yeah, exactly. It's it, that's why I chose my words carefully because, like, I don't know that she handles this the perfect way. But I get the wanting to step. I get wanting to have the fight. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I can understand why she's wanting to represent that she's an independent authority, but there's other ways to do that in a way that isn't just intentionally ruffling feathers. Back to the generator. Juliet is running in there, seemingly panicked. Her shadow is clearly working in the generator, and she's yelling at him to get out of there. He tries to follow her in, saying, Juliet, how am I supposed to learn? And she just yells no and punches him in the face, and he tumbles down. This is Coop, her guy Coop from the last episode. Uh, She takes a second look after she decks coop and surely gives her a look like come on are you kidding me she's presumably it seems by the way that the um rebecca ferguson acts this that she's aware immediately she should not have done that yeah we got set up in the last episode that she's got that she's a tough boss she has a reputation of being a difficult person to work with someone that's not going to necessarily be the easiest teacher <laughs> this yeah yeah this sounds scene, familiar spencer no, not at all. Shut up. We, uh, wife, which, Sarah and I, my wife and I were like, at, as we were watching this, we were like, I wonder if Spencer would send his interns into the generator. <laughs> what do, you, do you think he'd punch an intern for trying to write a brief for him, like without without there, proper there instructions? A, there was a period of when my firm's HR director was listening to our podcast. So for that sake, I'm going to say no, no, I would never punch an intern under any circumstances. No. However... It's, in Juliet's case, even this, the, this act of punching seems <laughs> is out of character for her. Yeah, this seems she, like she's she, drunk. Well, she, yeah, she's often difficult. She's often abrasive. She probably would tell him to fuck off. That's what she often does. But physical violence, even as you say, even in the moment she recognizes, going to be hell to pay for that one later. Yeah, she's drunk. Anyway, Juliet's friend, who, by the way, we if we're nominating Silo Citizen of the Week, Shirley's got to be up there. Because she, here's the thing about Shirley is that she doesn't hit a home run, but she's, she's getting on base every single fucking scene. Oh yeah. Like she does it. She doesn't make an error all. She's just 
helpful and sort of the best version of herself all the time this entire episode. Her, her on-base percentage is nuts in terms of what she's bringing to this team right now. Yeah, so she helps Coop get up, and she gives Juliet a very displeased look, as did I. I put my hand on my hip, and I looked at Juliet, and I said, come on now, Juliet, don't do that. You're tisking her right now? You're uh, wagging a finger? Big tisk, big wag of the finger. Although, still huge Juliet fan, as are you, both of us, both of us right here together, big Juliet fans. So, cut to Juliet's boss, <laughs> pulling her into a sort of control room. She sits down, both of us. She sits down. He says, you want to tell me what's going on? Because I'm at a damn loss. I'll tell you this about this guy. Good boss. Good, good boss. It's He's getting the blue ribbon from me for being a good boss in a tough situation. Well, it's interesting, too, that they were very much framing him as being a manager boss, not a do the, not necessarily a do-the-job boss, not a you know, the best the best in his division kind of boss. He's a coordinator of people. Yeah. That's what they're focusing on in terms of his role throughout all this. And we see a lot to approve of this episode. And as that's we've seen who previously. should be managers, by the way. <laughs> not, Everyone not just listening. the best salesperson? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Peter yeah. principle is, is real. No, it should be people who know how to manage people. Not necessarily your best person that makes the widget. Uh, I mean, that's mm-hmm. common sense. Um, uh, yeah, but how many companies actually follow that, my friend? <laughs> yeah, that's why I say it like so firmly. Like, please, gosh, if we could focus on that more. Like, it's great, that it, and it it's, it does seem like that. That's how they they've they've done this, right? Because like, there are moments in this episode where things are happening that that guy cannot do, yeah. but in his role. He's doing a great job of marshalling the resources, motivating, moving people around, doing the stuff managers do. I think it's a great, uh, a really great representation of it. A manager skill set is a different skill set than a worker skill set, so long as they've got a base of knowledge as to what the industry they're actually working on, and particularly of the people that are working under them. Yeah, you can't be completely clueless about what's going on, but you just don't have to be the best at it. 100%. Um, she asked him if he's old Cooper to go in. Uh, he immediately says, well, what the hell was I supposed to do? Wait for you to show up? She says, you know my rules. What a, what an employee. Uh, your rules. Last I heard, I'm the head of mechanical and you're my shadow. She says, only I go through the hatch. So what she's saying is only I go into the generator. Nobody else goes in. That's my rule. I don't know how she gets to set a rule, but she's Juliet, so I guess she said it. This is in the category of she's just that awesome. And it's respected that she knows the generator. This is her generator. This is her baby. This is, you know, personified in her will. She gets to set some requirements with respect to it just based on her sheer level of knowledge and ability. As I'm sure imminently frustrating as that is to actually work with. He knows Juliet really well. And he knows that she is a caring person at heart. That she does care yes. about people. So he knows how powerful this is, but he says it anyway. He says, so you feel okay about Deck and Coop? Jules, he's your shadow. The kid fucking worships you. Now mm-hmm. that line took her out at the knees. And she springs to life and she says, well, it's my job to make sure it's running. He said, and you care so much. You showed up two hours late. Boom. Got her. Sit back down. This guy had a combo prepared. This guy is is hitting her right and left to knock her back in a state where she can actually talk with her. It really is like uh, you're playing like a like a card game. You know, you play you play your card. Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. You're like, oh, shit. Walked right into that. That's exactly (laughs) what happened here. And uh she says, we're putting off the inevitable. Now she, I love when people do this in an argument. You're a king of it. Pivot. Pivot to something else that you're on, you're on more solid ground. Like, you know, like, like instead of doing the Anakin and jumping, trying to jump to the higher ground, just mm-hmm. move to your own set of ground. Like I'm going to get my <laughs> own ground over ground. here. Exactly. That's what she's doing here. Cause she says, we have to shut it down. We have to do a real fix. Chief seems resigned at that point. 
says, well, like, I can't be the first gun history of the silo to shut the generator down. She starts to make the case saying better to do it on their terms with the generator running, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, even an hour in darkness will be utter chaos. She says, that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. He cuts her right off, but she screams. It's fucking better. It happens on our terms. And he says, Jules. And she says, then the rotor shattering. And that is like doomsday scenario would kill Everyone's a lot dead. of people. Even saying it out loud is tough. So he yells her down and he says, Jules, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Hey, 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 woo, simmer down. Woo, let's bring yeah. it down. Bring it down a notch. We will have this conversation tomorrow when you are not hungover or still drunk. Yeah, he's reading correctly that she's got some great points here that we need to discuss, but right now you're just ranting and spiraling, and there's no point in us talking right now. Yeah, again, wonderful boss. He's He definitely gets a nomination for Silo Citizen of the Week. If he doesn't win Silo Citizen of the Week, he at least is one of the people who does their individual job the best. Yes, um, and and pointedly helps other people do their jobs better. Which is his job. That's, that's yep. exactly what a good manager does, is you get the best out of the people around you. He uh, He tells her to go home. Wash off whatever it is I'm smelling and take your punishment. You punch Cooper in the face, you either have to do a day on the trash line or work off some tickets with Walker. What 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 do we think that means? Trash line, I can I can guess. Work off some tickets? I think that's um they're repair in, tickets? They're in mechanical, right? So it's repair and shit, yeah. That makes sense. Repair tickets around the silo, which I'm sure would be annoying as shit for them to walk up all those levels to go where they have to. Um, yeah, for somebody's coffee maker that needs rewiring or something, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, they don't throw anything away. So it, you know, if, if the coffee maker's not working, they just open it up and try to, you know, refix <laughs> it. You know, everything's yeah. like that. Yeah, this this is in the category of opening up a device and putting together components that are 140 years old and been jury rigged for the last 120. Now, this is the type of line where. I would just like, I mean, happily married now, but like single me 15 years ago, my head would just whip around and I'd be like, I have got to get to know this person better. Cause she just goes, can I just let him punch me back? And I go, Whoa, buddy. She is interesting. That's an interesting person who says a line like that. That is an interesting thought. That's in the category of if I'm you know, necessarily uh, scolding an employee or trying to impart a lesson to them, whatever else, and they respond like that, I'm going to have to fight every fiber of my being to avoid laughing to then break the authoritative mold I'm trying to have right now. My notes just say, she asked, quote, can I let him punch me back? Dot, dot, dot. I like her, period. That's the end, yeah. of, the, that's the end of it. <laughs> I said, yeah. I like her. <laughs> Cut to the head of IT, talk to the mayor. This is Bernard talking to the mayor. She leads her into some office. He's saying that he came... Out to tell her he was going to applaud her for walking the silo, walking the silo, walking the silo, green silo, walking. He says at your, she says if you say at your age you don't get what I brought you. She is funny. She's a funny lady. <laughs> Tim Robbins can't be a young guy at this point, can he? No. Uh-uh. I'm gonna double check. Right, the guy's got to be in his sixties. He guessed sixty-one. Robbins, born in 1958. He is 64. Ooh, look at that. He and she was. By the way, he was totally going to say at your age. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Bernard asks what Mayor Johns brought him. She pulls out a bottle of something, some something to zip on. And Martin says, "Well, gee, I'm glad somebody's getting something. I've joined her on this death march, and she's not giving me anything but grief." And I'm like, "Look at you two. Y'all giving. To, stop it. You're giving the plot away, Barnes. <laughs> you. That is not a thing." That a, a fucking deputy would say to the mayor, like, you're, you're giving yourself yeah, away, dude. He is being way too familiar in the moment. Yes. If this was in any way, even some remaining aspect of a secret, it's gone. Particularly, particularly talking to Bernard, who is, at best, the spy master of the silo. Question. 
Do you think he is that familiar in this moment because they just assume Mar- that Bernard knows? I don't know because they're continually then surprised over the course of the episode that Judicial and Bernard know things. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he probably should assume that Bernard yes. knows. Because um, yes. I'm sure that Bernard does know and does not care. She says she actually needs some help with Judicial. Judge Beddoes, oh, you're going to need a lot of help from her. Uh, you need a lot of help about her. Her office messaged me and said you neglected, <laughs> neglected to stop by. Mayor her office yep. messaged me. Her office gave Bernard updates as to what was going on and as to in, li- in live, in live as she's going up and down the silo. That's interesting. He's just the IT director. But Judicial is giving him live blogging updates on the subject of how they're feeling and what the, what the mayor is doing. Interesting. I think if you are assuming the best of these people and you do, you're, not, you're not getting all Spencer where you, you just don't, you, don't you, you, you think this is like red pill, blue pill, we might be in the matrix, you don't trust anything you see. 100%, yes, go on. Then at best, they're gossipy. Like at to an extreme best. degree. Yeah. And it's also just who they're gossipy to. It, it, again, this guy is the, is the controls the information in the silo. Whether that's just as the nature of his position or whether that's connected with some other authority, can't say for sure. But Judicial's talking and they're talking to him and other, he has other sources around at all times. So the mayor then asked him bluntly if he wants Paul Billings to be sheriff. Bernard gives an answer very not dissimilar to the answer that you get from Spencer when you're like, like, like for this podcast channel, I'm like, all right, we got a decision to make. I'm going to throw it to Spencer. You get mm-hmm. one of these. This is the this is the Bernard slash Spencer. Go on, cast your scorn. Mayor, you know me. It doesn't matter what I want. <laughs> I'm just here to support the I'm channel, man. I'm just here to help you guys. Come on. You know, it doesn't matter. And, it, you know, it's just... I joke about compared it to you, but like in the in the moment, Bernard is dripping with sarcasm when he oh, says no. this line, and it's it's hilarious. Hundred percent, hundred percent. At least Bernard admits it a little bit later. Meanwhile, with me, you're going to get me di- avoiding answering the question. Oh yeah, you really then, don't answer the question. Yeah, and really then don't. just sarcasm for the next two years when you pick the decision I didn't want. <laughs> Do the wrong thing. <laughs> you yeah. should have known better. Yeah, I picked I, I picked the show you didn't want. We've got ten listeners, and now Spencer's going to let me know about it. <laughs> She answers. <laughs> she answers for him. She says, "You just run the numbers, right?" Like she kind of cuts him off, right? Numbers, man. I'm just a numbers man. That's it. I, I might as well be a computer. And he says, "Which tell me that Paul Billings is the most favorable candidate." Barnes chimes in and says, "Is that for the silo or is that for IT? Like favorable for all of us, the ten thousand people, or favorable for your specific department?" And th- this is also interesting too. That this means that he that the list that judicial approved has also been circulated to IT. This wasn't a private list that was sent and recommended to the mayor. This is making rounds of the people that they've put forward, and people like Bernard, maybe because that's actually what the case is, are treating that as if that's the sole list of options. Now, I do think one of the things we're starting to pick up here is that the IT department does not resemble the IT department like in your municipality. Like who, no, who, when no, you're, no, no. Who, you're listening right now, wherever you live, you've got a city, you've got a mayor, a city manager, county manager, a you know representative, whatever, who runs the city. You've got an IT department for that city, but it's way, 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 way. To, I, I think this is like cabinet level stuff. I think the IT oh, director yeah. is in essence, the VP or like the, you know, secretary of state or some sort of level like that to the mayor's president. 
100%. To the degree that we even deem the mayor the actual president, rather rather than just being another another cabinet member, or at least having the illusion that she's a president and then she's actually just a one separate branch of this government. I mean, I actually think it's a great, great comparison to the U.S. federal government because we do have a president. And the mm-hmm. president does do a lot of stuff, and there is co-equal a, branches, and there's a presumption that the president's powerful. One of them's like, judicial, but like the Supreme Court can just do whatever they want. Like literally, can do whatever they want. They can just take gifts. They can stay forever. They can lie. They can you know, obfuscate. They can you know calm, make calm, up shit. Okay. Make up okay. shit in the moment. Like it, it, it really is sort of kind of uh, comparable. I would say. This is them just getting revenge against Andrew Jackson 100, 200 years after the fact. They were really pissed off that he didn't let them, that he made, that he pointed out that they couldn't enforce their own decrees, and now they're just reigning in it. I think it's, I honestly think it's great writing because I think that, like, for an American audience, if you are going to make one section of the government, like, really powerful, but like secretive, Judicial. The judicial is the perfect one because that is kind of like how most people view not their court, not like the courthouse in their county, but like the Supreme Court for sure. That is, that is how most people well, view that. Well, it's, I would say, strongly implied that judicial isn't elected in any sense of the word. The nope. mayor is an elected position. Sheriff's an elected position. Judicial, I don't get those vibes at all that any of those people are elected in any sense of the word. All right. So they've thrown the name Judge Meadows out, right, as the mm-hmm. judge for who, who heads judicial. How do you think Judge Meadow got her role? I assumed it was almost hierarchical or chosen within judicial when a new position needs a new person needs to be packed. Like it's an oligarchy within that system. Yeah. Okay. So she says, "What? What, do you, what, what, what was your assumption?" I I honestly at this point assume the mayor appointed, but that the the mayor cannot remove. Interesting. That'd be a different um, way of doing it. But I don't know. I mean, it's just a just a guess. Um, sure. And the only reason I'm guessing that is because she appoints the sheriff, and it's like I, I don't know. Like that that seems. It seems like she's, she does appoint a number of positions, so I just kind of filled in the blank. Maybe we'll get a firm answer later. She says, mm-hmm. what does your numbers say about Holston? He confirms his calculations that Holston would be a good sheriff, and he was. Mayor jokes, Until. I, wonder, I wonder what your numbers say about me. He says, fuck the numbers. You brought Brandy. She smiles. Uh, what do they say about Juliet Nichols? That was the most human moment we've seen from Bernard. I kind of like episode one, Bernard came across as being only vaguely human, and in this, he's been you know with his guard up, whatever else. That was just a joke, and that would you know it landed landed fairly well. Can I say this about Bernard? Yeah, please. When I first watched this show, and even rewatching it now, I can remember how I was feeling. I know that like they're presenting him in such a way that it's very common for people to have the reaction that you're having, that most of our audience is having. Don't trust him, robot, etc. Yeah, I kind of like him, and I don't know if it's Tim Robbins. I don't know why it is, but I I have this like little ten percent of me that's like, eh, maybe he's not so bad. What there's actually several moments of where if it, if I removed it from the assumed conspiracy, which you know me, that's hard for me to do, Very but I'm going to try for a moment. What he's actually saying through the course of this episode is perfectly reasonable. The main things he harps on is we need a sheriff. Why the hell are you dithering? We've got a qualified candidate right here. Just pick them. Why the hell are you even considering a person who's completely unknown, who has no support out by the broader community or from the established positions of authority, and has no background in law enforcement? All reasonable concerns. Another thing he, he, he thumps her a little bit on. Are you telling me that you shut down the generator without even informing either IT or judicial you were going to do so? Also a fair thing to bring up, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I just don't, 
I have this like creeping suspicion that he might be not as bad as maybe he's being originally presented. So uh, she asked about Juliet Nichols. She's an engineer from Mechanical. I know who she is. I don't need the number. Mm-hmm. She's a thief. Spy master. What? A thief? So he says she stole four boxes of H57 tape reserved for IT. Mayor doesn't see the importance of that. So she stole tape. Who gives a shit? Not just any tape. Heat tape we use to prevent our servers from cooking. And honestly, the problem isn't what she stole. It's the fact that she stole it all. I think, they, I think honestly... If he's saying he's throwing the word honestly in, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna correct him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it I think he's concerned about two things. I do think he's concerned about the type of tape. I think that's important sure. tape. Um, first off, he's he's talking. Principle. Yeah, there is the principle, and I, I do think that 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 does matter to him. But mm-hmm. if there is specific tape that they put around their servers, the wires of the servers, or whatever that the otherwise the servers would overheat, that is extremely important in this world. Yeah, I also can't imagine that's easy to make under the resources they have either. So they, they might not make a, it. They may, they may be working on reserves that are now probably bleeding pretty dry after 140 years. I'm left to practically ask, if he knows that she stole a valuable resource, why isn't she in jail? Why, what happened in the background between these two that she got off with what he's saying is a known crime? Good question. Mayor, um, yeah, Mayor just sort of you know, sort of nods her head it off. shrugs at that and says, well, Bernard, she was Holston's pick. Bernard's confused by this. He says, you can't seriously consider a mayor. Just looks at him kind of like, fuck, I can't mayor, mayor, <laughs> appeals. mayor, then, uh, or Bernard then gets misogynistic and appeals to the man in the room, turns to the deputy and says, deputy. And she goes, and I love this cuts that right off. Doesn't matter what he thinks. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm just the escort. And it's a, doesn't matter what he thinks. And she says she doesn't like judicial's choice being shoved down her throat. Separation of powers, people. Come on. Mm-hmm. Separate, separate branches of government, Spencer. It's important. Fully, fully understand the sentiment. It's a battle she loses before this episode is done. Does she? I think she's dead, personally. Yeah, but Juliet's going to be sheriff. Yeah, okay, Pyrrhic victory. She got her choice across and lost her life in the process. Yeah, but like, I, I don't think that that's like the measuring stick, right? Because that's that's outside the bounds of what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about like the the function of the mayor is to appoint the person that she thinks is best, not the pressure from judicial, right? And she did that. Now, the fact that she's murdered, that's a whole separate fucking thing. But yeah, I do think a, the separation of powers worked in this moment and that she did override judicial and pick who she, she thought was best. It, I mean, it depends to what degree we're arguing over the battle or the war. If we're viewing this as a power struggle between her and judicial, judicial won by the end of this in the sense that she's dead and presumably they're going to have more power over the next mayor that's appointed. Um, <laughs> if, we're viewing, if we're viewing it from a battle standpoint, then yes, she got her pick across the line and that's going to be... Something it seemed like Judicial was trying to nip in the bud, but she was able to get signed before she passed. Yeah, I guess I'm not looking at it as the mayor versus Judicial. That that battle might be happening. I'm looking at it as, did the system work? And the system, <laughs> at least for the, the appointment of Juliet Nichols, does, does seem to work. The mayor is able to make the choice and not be pressured by judicial to do it. Like they, she's getting the pressure, but she still doesn't do it. So we're, I give her, give her credit for that. We're, we're entering a late Roman Republic system of democracy working. The election successfully went forward and there was only one death. Well, I mean, I think that the death, that's a separate thing that, to talk about, right? Because I think yeah, you're immediately yeah. assuming judicial killed her. And I don't I think am. that we know that. Um, the mayor comes up to a group of people and says that it's been a long time since she's crossed this bridge. And in fact, I can see, 
few of you men who were pimply teenagers the last time I was here. Ah, she's got that line queued up. Uh-huh. She gets a laugh. I came to look you in the eye and remind you. I'll remind you, Spencer, you specifically, how Me? important you are. We're all scared. We lost a great man and a fine sheriff. But it's this community. It's the way you love each other. Truly holds the silo together, even when times are tough. It, campaign speech. She's gearing up for the next campaign. 100%, yeah. A guy jumps in and says, hell, we love you. We're voting for you. Me too, Mayor Johns. I'm voting for you too. I can't imagine this is a normal thing for the mayor to just be walking the silo this way. This seems, uh, even for her, an unusual behavior. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, uh, we talked a little bit about this last episode, right? It seems like she, she has done this before, but it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of confirms that with some of her dialogue here. Um, she says she has business down below, but uh, I'm not going to leave until I see the babies. Then we get the doctor walking her around. Sergio Mormont in the it, house, Bear it, Island, it, represent. It, it, Ian Glenn, right? That's the name of the actor? Ian Glenn, that's him. Uh, thing I was not expecting. Of all the British actors on the planet, Ian Glenn apparently can't do a very convincing American accent for this episode. No. You know, but the cool thing about this type of show is that um, it would be my assumption that they would develop their own dialect and things over to... Yeah. God, yeah. Or hundreds before that. So it's almost like... You can give them whatever accent you want. It doesn't matter because like you, if, if, if the doctor has a different accent than the mayor, you can explain, well, the mayor grew up at the top level and he grew up at the mids and they've developed different accents over the years. Like it's very easy to fill in in this world. And one could explain it away also is that they're trying to, you know, also work with Rebecca Ferguson's elements of British accent that bleed in there too. So having him have a kind of mixed accent too, eh, maybe it tracks for the, for, for a similarity between the two. I love Rebecca Ferguson's portrayal of Juliet. I love the character of Juliet. It's what drives the show for me. But she is so in and out of that accent. It is fucking <laughs> terrible. Like it, she is one minute like completely British, and the next minute you could—it's just flat, you know, Midwestern American that she clearly has learned. And then it's just back and forth. Were those the notes then they gave Ian Glenn? We need your accent to be inconsistent yeah please do that that's it that's what they've developed over the 140 years here in the silo is it inconsistency, inconsistency. <laughs> the doctor presumes that the mayor wants to see the expectant mother mothers too but the mayor says ah, actually no we're here to talk to you can we talk to you for a moment kind of startles him a little bit she says we're hoping to talk to you about your daughter juliet boom there it is there's a reveal mm-hmm. sir jora mormont is in fact juliet nichols father this is this liana mormont no not that family descent but not his actual daughter yeah <laughs> this prompts she kind of acts like Leanna from time to time. Oh, just a bit, she? yes. Uh, this prompts a very interesting look, and he asks if she's all right. She's being considered for a new position. I like how she's coy with exactly what the position mm-hmm. is. Just standard vetting. Uh, Mayor, Mayor uh, Marnes chimes in. He says he's happy to answer. I, look, I, the, the dad says I'm happy to help any way I can. So they ask how come she lives down deep, and Marnes asks this question, but the mayor follows up by saying. You understand it's unusual for someone born in the mids with a doctor for a father to end up in mechanical, which you could see that. They, they have introduced elements of class in the system, um, that that would be unusual to happen. I, I can't picture this much in the way of class movement in this society. I, my, my assumption I expressed a couple episodes back was that I think this society almost runs on the equivalent of serfdom in terms of what your ability is to actually move outside of your level. So that being the case, and it seems they're expressing here, this is really unusual to see someone to voluntarily move down in the station. You seem to think the judicial's that way, right? That the judicial's just like sort of uh, insulated uh, and, and and incestuous. I'm I'm kind of assuming almost all aspects of the society have an element of that. Yes. Yeah. So he says our troubles started. It was our troubles started. 
It doesn't go into any more explanation than that. Just our troubles started. So I guess it's war in Northern Ireland. And he says, <laughs> it was hard on Jules, a loss like that. She showed real interest in machines from an early age, always figuring out how things work, how to fix them if they didn't. I think it felt good to be able to fix something, which maybe is a clue as to what the troubles were. She was a little girl, but I supported her decision to go. They asked him when she went down. Guess what, Spencer? 13 years old is when she went to the down deep and left her father. 13. From drawing Ooh. information we have in a prior episode, death of her mom and her brother. That, is that the troubles we're talking about in some shape or form? Because we know the two of them died. Rare situation where I, I, I'm not going to be able to participate with you. So I, I can only Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm picturing in many ways the death of her, mo- her mother and, her, and, her, and her, uh, her brother being a key event of these the troubles. And curse you, by the way, now I've got a, a certain Cranberry song stuck in my head, but it's a good song at least. Uh, no, don't, don't, you're not, you're not helping. Uh, eh, eh, eh. Man, that, you never heard somebody like get so much run out of the word eh, E-H. She sells it. Like four bars. It's like eh, eh. And we're all like, yeah, that's so great. I love how yeah. she's saying eh over and over again. <laughs> Presentation, it matters best. It's fantastic. Uh, uh, but yeah, I picture it being that. I also picture that being what he's kind of referencing there about too. It, I think it felt good to be able to fix something. But she can't fix the death and the loss of her mother and her brother. And so being up. Having being able to make something, be able to restore something, be able to protect other people, given the powerlessness she felt with the loss of her family, that would track from a psychological standpoint in my mind, and I think it's what her dad's kind of referencing here. So I have new babies every week. Jules has the generator. It's a long walk down to mechanical. I can't get there and back on my day off. I need that day to rest. He's a little punchy about not visiting his daughter, isn't he? Just, like They didn't ask that question, and he starts answering it. He's defensive, like, you know, he frames this, you know, I let her go and I supported her in doing this. Can I call it a certain degree of bullshit based on how defensive he is being on the subject of whether they've maintained contact? Yeah. I mean, and you know, the mayor, they do present her as someone good with people. And she, as soon as he starts this thing about, I can't get down there. I can't do it. She just gives them this look and like a real soft eyes nods. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're done here. Right. Like she, she gets yeah. it. Nothing productive um, from here. Yep. Mayor just looks at Marnes and after he excuses himself, the mayor just looks at Marnes and says, more questions than answers. Damn straight. You got the Jules who was saying, it's so hard to describe. She's like, what you saw and what you felt? And this is Martha talking to her. Mm-hmm. She's in Martha's Martha's shop. And she says, mm-hmm. it wasn't the darkness she was worried about. She was just searching for an answer. So she's searching for an answer, searching for a word. And Martha tries to answer it. says, scared. She goes, no, I ain't feel scared. If I was scared, I'd tell you. When it gets... <laughs> This is one of these people, right? You just nothing, nothing you say is right. And Martha has the patience of a saint. She just goes, okay. And then Juliet just goes, yeah, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. Don't, don't you dare say I was scared. Okay. Yeah, I was a little scared. They're going a certain element of like, you know, teenager with respect to this character. I also get an element of just cat. I have a certain like, cat feel coming from this character just in terms of like the, immediate, sta- the, the immediate aggressive standoffishness. Yeah. It's like, I want to pet you. No. And like scratch you, and then like, okay, can you pet me now? Like that's kind of like where she's at. My terms only. She does go real high, and then we'll 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 stop. Like she'll get real um, spike in emotion, and then drop real quick because right afterwards she says, "Yeah, yeah, I was scared." She says it's just the water. It's more the wall, more water than she had ever seen. It mm-hmm. was more than that. I just you know, George, he he left me all these clues, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go down there. That's what I feel. I feel pissed off. I couldn't. And she goes so, so pissed off. He took it out on Cooper. And Juliet yells again, I don't want to talk about Cooper. And finally Martha goes, okay, what do you want? 
which is a fa- fantastic question for Juliet. Mm-hmm. She says she doesn't know. She just wants to. And Martha answers her, uh, finishes her sentences again and says, run away. That's run okay. Away. I get it. I get it. We scream. We fight. We get mad. But every now and then we tell our, we should tell ourselves what we we did what we could. We did our best. And then, God, Juliet like, is a fucking... Sage piece. advice, she great a, philosophy, not the moment for Juliet right I fucking now. love Juliet, but she is a piece of fucking work. She is, we, we. I don't know why you even get... I'm, why am I even getting advice from somebody who sits at their bench every day listening to a radio? You haven't left a workshop in 20 years. 20 fucking years you haven't left this place. Storms, Storms out. out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable, Juliet. Late, late. I think there's a bridge over there. Why is she, she? I think Juliet's purpose is to throw Molotovs at any bridge she finds at any given moment. See, this is the type of situation where, like, look, I'm on Team Juliet. That's not changing. But she'd walk out and be like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's the best you got with Martha. Why'd you even go in there if you were going to act that way? Good yeah. God, uh, awful. Not her best. What, can you imagine what Mechanical puts up with it with, with her? It's like, you know, can, can you imagine just how much brow beating she's thrown his way at every available opportunity? I think that her boss is charmed by her but he does seem like sort of scarred by working with her like he, <laughs> he does seem like he has to constantly like uh box in and apologize for her behavior calm, and calm, calm her down and be the therapist and make it work and just on and on and on you know uh, th- this is a person that, I mean, you've recommended to this to other characters who've seen on different shows and to me before. This is a person that could clearly benefit from a certain measure of therapy because there are any number of unresolved issues here that she has been bearing away for the sake of being productive at work. Do we think they have therapists at the silo? Given that they have not, like, apparently conditioned knowledge on the subject of, ver- of like, emotional states that we learned about from the p- prior episode of where that's, like, taught to kids growing up. There seems to be at least a built-in baseline of therapy in society, but we've not heard or had referenced any therapist previously, which I would expect in this society it would be encouraged, but I don't have any evidence to prove that at present. Yeah, cut to Martin. He's, what, having lunch maybe with the mayor at a restaurant in a park on one of the levels? That's what it seems yeah, like? seems like a nice little outdoor cafe. Yeah, he's telling a charming story about the first time he ever made an arrest. 3 a.m. drunk, naked, couple going at it. That was my first arrest. You know my second arrest? 24 hours, 24 hours later, same couple going at it right there. Yeah, good, good, good story. Is that, is that the kind of moment where you high-five them while you're arresting them? Just like, you know what? Good for y'all. I don't know what you do. I mean, I guess you, uh, yeah, I guess you arrest them again. Uh, I, I presume the mayor, see, I, I still think even, even though there is some evidence that maybe, um, they're crossing some boundaries later in the episode that maybe they haven't before. I still think that these two have spent a lot of time around each other. And cause she gives him a look and a laugh, like great story. I've heard it a thousand times, but great story. Yes. Good, good story. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, you told it better the seventh time. Just going to say that right now. Yeah. Ask him if he's going to miss the job. He says, it's time. I was thinking that maybe I might open up a stall in a market, try to sell my drawings to anybody blind enough to want them. Did, did we already see the little sketch that he did of the mayor? Yes. Nope, that, that happens later. That happens later. This guy can draw. Yeah, he's pretty good. She shakes her head and says, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do. And in comes Common. (laughs) In comes Common. Or Sims. He drops a strawberry dessert in front of them. Compliments of Judge Meadows. And like he's doing this whole like over the top. Presentation. Fresh from the farm. If you haven't tried this, don't. One bite can be habit form. Like he's doing this whole thing, right? Yeah. Martin's. Sold, sold me. Strawberry uh, dessert, I'm down. But yeah, yeah, would, yeah, you'd have eaten it for sure. Marnes and the mayor both give a very skeptical look, passing between each of them. As Sim keeps laying it on thick, he says, 
And she goes, is this supposed to intimidate me? And he scoffs, dessert, of course not. So my question for you, Spencer, is she doesn't want to eat it. She chooses not to eat it. She ends up saying like, ah, it's too much sugar, bad for the heart, whatever. Um, is she not eating this because she thinks it's poisoned? Is she not eating this because she thinks by eating it, she, she would be indebted to them? I mean, I can't imagine that the fucking strawberries are very plentiful in this society. It's probably a delicacy. Why isn't she eating the dessert? I can't imagine she thinks she's going to be poisoned. I, I, if that was actually a realistic concern, I think it would have come up in her review of like all the prior journals of all the prior mayors. I don't think that I don't think that kind of tool is a regular thing that's used in the society, at least not in a way that she's aware of or has been applied to her position previously. So I don't think she's actually feeling that she's under threat of harm. I'm with you on your po- second possibility, though. I think she's a, she's very wary about obligation. She's very wary about these are gifts that come with ob- that come with strings attached in a way that she does not want to get involved in, particularly when she's on a bit of a turf war with judicial right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's probably it. But um, I don't know. I, I probably would have eaten it. it. It seemed a tad petty not to eat it to me. And I'm a big mayor supporter, but it seemed like, come on, like that, I, I that's kind of silly. I think she's being unnecessarily petty and confrontational throughout a lot of this episode. I think she could have gotten her objectives accomplished a lot better and maybe made it through the episode alive if she'd been a bit more subtle about her intent and a bit more gregarious in her her interactions. Yeah. And he says, well, then I blew it. He says, it was supposed to be a friendly gesture and a little nudge. She says, you don't stop by to see Judge Meadows. And she says she didn't know she was supposed to, which... Um, you know, it's sort of an interesting rejoinder. But again, it, it does seem like she's picking a fight. Sim says the second Holston went out, the clock started on finding his replacement true. He says he needs to understand why she wouldn't like to pick Holston or, or you know, why. Um, Billings. Yeah, yeah. She'd like, yeah, he understands why she'd like to pay Holston the respect with his pick. That's what he says. I'd like to understand why you would want to. Check out Juliet. Think about it. You're paying Holston respect with that. But the mayor starts to speak and he cuts her right off. And he says, look, there really isn't time. And I don't know what that means at all. Paul Billings is a good choice. He's a family man, educated, hard working and smart. I mean, I guess I, on the surface, I guess I know what he means that like, uh, the town, like everything's getting unstable without a sheriff, but he says it in this, like there's, he says it in the tone of like, there's more, you don't know. Mm Hmm. There, you know, there really isn't time. Like, there, there, there's more you don't know here, Mayor, to why this is an important pick. 100%. Also notable, Judicial is 100% aware that she's going down to vet this engineering candidate for sheriff. 100%. It's like, did they already have a spy in her office to get that information? Did Bernard just immediately phone them back because they're just the chattering birds gossipers? Couldn't say, but Judicial's 100% in the loop as to what she intends and is in many ways trying to head her off. I assume Bernard told um, because she, all this information was given to Bernard in that conversation. And we know from the information that, Bar- that Bernard had that he was in conversation with Judicial. Also, practically for not stopping with Judicial, several people bring that up as being a snub. It is, though, right? It, it is a pretty much, pretty much intentional snub on her part, right? I don't the, know. Hey, no, mayors don't walk the silo. They don't come down to this area. If I if I came through Asheville and didn't even tell you, wouldn't you be on? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be kind of annoyed? So on brand for you that like I wouldn't, <laughs> even, I wouldn't even think about it. But yeah, no, for most people, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that what gives her away 
is that she stood there for a second and her and Marnes had that conversation and she smirked at Marnes when he called yes. her out for it. I think that if, if she had not done that, then I think I could possibly could argue that there was no expectation for her to do it. But why stand there to make sure that they see her not go in? Right. This is a conscious snub. She is flexing. She's demonstrating an independence with respect to her and Judicial. Now, the way that Judicial has been presented these first three episodes, I think I am reasonable in assuming that she's got pretty valid reasons for wanting to flex independence against Judicial. I imagine Judicial is in her shit all the fucking time. Sure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I think this, the sheriff issue has been more destabilizing than normal, but I think it is on a list of various ways that they've been trying to salami tactics eat away her authority. She says she'll make her decision when she's completed her trip. Sims asks Sam if he wants it. He says, no, I'm good. So Sims picks it up and actually eats it as he leaves. Uh, again, I, I, I'm guessing that strawberries are a real delicacy here. I think that's like a big deal that he brought her strawberries. 100%. Um, cut back to the silo. We see some large fans going. And that was a pretty cool image. Uh, you know, they, they do a good job of the show of constantly showing you shot. Because, like, this show could, and it's not going to shock anybody, could feel very claustrophobic very quick. Right? Yes. They're in a small space. So the fact that they're constantly showing you up the silo, down the silo, showing you the fans, showing you the generator, showing you the big elements of it, showing you the sun at the very top... It expands the world and it makes it feel real, right? I think they do a good job with that. Agreed. Um, so we have Juliet looking over the side, remembering her conversation about suicide with Barnes and Holston. She looks at the piece of paper again and it says, I found what I was looking for. And she repeats the words, mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Cut to the generator and it looks like it's getting hot again. Shirley's just watching it saying, fuck, 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 over and over again. Coop says, that's not good. No shit. Where's Jules? Cut to deputy leading Barnes and the mayor. This is Hank down right on the scene for the catastrophe. Yeah. Isn't that great timing? And then we see the rattling and we see people scurrying off. The mayor immediately looks concerned, looks over at the deputy like, eh, this doesn't look good. Does it? Um, they greet Knox. Knox is the, is, is the boss of Juliet. Mm-hmm. Madam, Madam mayor, deputy, uh, we, we, we weren't expecting you. And she goes, everything. All right. It's not supposed to sound like that. Is it? He tries to play it off, but says, you know, it's, yeah, it's all under control. Uh, she jumps over to control board, the windows down to the generator. And then finally it knocks does admit, yeah, it's not supposed to sound like this. Now I can't bluff this one away right now. And then the mayor gets a top level window view of Juliet in her element. Juliet walks up to the generator. She comes up and they tell her that the fix is failing again. She puts her hand on it. Like she's like communing with fucking purgles. It's like (laughs) with, with the machine spirit. It's amazing. Yeah. And she says, I need to listen. And I guess she's she's feeling for vibrations, I guess, is the implication here. Yes. Um, and things seem to slow down for her. She's she's communing with the force. She's one with the force here. Mm. Um, and she hears something like a groaning inside the machine. Cut back to the mayor who sees Juliet and says, is that her? And Martin's like, yeah, it's, it's her. He knows because him and Holston he visited her earlier. Um, everyone gets quiet while she listens. Knox is watching, then excuses himself, telling him, yeah, don't worry, we got this under control. Knox runs out to her and she explains that the vibration has changed, it's shifting, whatever that means. And I guess may, later we learn that the in-world explanation is that one of the fans on the um, propeller... In the turbine, yeah. The turbine propeller thing is bent and is as the more it spins is getting more and more bent over time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's starting to affect the environment around it, too. Yeah. Uh, Coop asks what they do, and she tells Coop to go check output. Coop puts up a fight, says, I I, I got I know the generator just as much as anybody. I can help you. Like, he's, you know, doing that thing. Knox, again, another element of being a great boss, says, hey, Coop, you're, you're her shadow. I can't have you both here if something goes wrong and this thing blows mm-hmm. up. I need you to go do this. And it, Coop goes, yes, I can do that. That is That, uh, that works for me unassailable at that point it's like you have an important job and also we can't re- there, there is a finite resources we have at play here can't risk them all at once great great people management coop takes off cut to juliet who goes into the generator itself she tells knox only her this is what i was warning about and he says i know he doesn't fight her he just goes i know i know the power seems to be flooding she goes in and she gets to work the mayor watches and eventually says don't let her leave and guess what the mayor knows Martha. How cool is that? And apparently Martha's Old shop friends. is like real close by too. Like she does not go far for the sake of going to talk to Martha right now. She's in the down deep. Yeah. Like not, down deep, like close to the generator down deep. Maybe all of the down deep is just circling generator. I, I think, I think Martha actually works for mechanical too. I think that she just, she just does the tickets. Right. She, they, they bring her the items. She fixes it and someone else carries it away. That's why they're calling it her shop because she yes. actually does work there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Martha jokes that she would have tied it up for the mayor, and she says, you don't tidy up for old friends. Oh, what writing, Spencer. Wait, Look so, at how they're filling in the background for us in casual dialogue. They're old friends. So, so actually, is Martha Proposition Joe, then, running the little junk, the junk and repair shop? Yeah, I mean, if she has a crime syndicate behind her, I don't know. Does she have Does she have people? Uh, I, I, maybe she has people. She has connections. That's a, that's apparent. How would they have drugs in the silent? Because you know they're going to figure out a way to have drugs. Is it people Got, um, growing it in their individual pods, it, or how they do it? it? As, two, as two guys who grew up in the South, there is a lot of things that can get you high, man. Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe there's like snuff <laughs> the, the, paint. And stuff. A lot of huff and paint. I'm betting it's happening in the silo. Yeah. But how do they make paint? That's a question. Uh, you don't, you, Valid question, valid question. Bringing in beetles from the dirt around the silo or something. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, besides, you know, I, so the mayor says, besides, you knew I was coming. You heard it on the radio you made, which is so prohibited by the pact, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> and Martha says, No, I don't have a, no radio. No, of course not. Nothing like that. That's you, a toaster. <laughs> you up toppers really don't know your machines, do you? <laughs> it's a toaster. <laughs> so they both laugh. Mayor says she was sad when Martha's marriage broke up. Marriage broke up. That was 25 years ago. I was still sad. She says, you and Carla were a good couple. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So same-sex marriage allowed in the silo. That's what I'm hearing. I would have lost money on that, honestly. So Given would I. How heavily regulated it is, how much it's built around the idea of reproduction. Yep. Caught me off guard a little bit. I maybe- did not think they would approve it because they have, they have to repopulate the 10,000 people, right? Maybe they could do some means of artificial insemination, but that seems beyond the technology we see them working with. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think they approve? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how would they even do adoption there? Because wait, wait, like people have to do, go through do, such a just such an intense process to get approval to conceive a baby that they clearly want one. So it's not like kids would be going up for adoption. God, is there a mandatory donor requirement of where, okay, you two are married now, but this guy gets to be in your bed for the next 365 days because one of you needs to get pregnant. Ugh, ugh, I don't I, know about that. Or I, maybe maybe what, maybe there's a tax. Maybe there's, yes, we'll approve your... Oh, Chinese system. You will produce, we'll, we'll approve your procreation request so you can have a child, but then you have to do another one. And then we get the second one. 
or something. Or maybe we get the first one, you get the second one. Then there's a it, then uh, yeah, then there's a way it, to make it enforce it. It, it. it our conversation here is demonstrative of the fact of how much this caught us off guard. It's like that didn't kind of fit into the world I was expecting the silo was built. That's how they could do it. I figured it out. I've worked it through. That's how they could do it. A you, child head tax. Yeah, you and your you and your um uh certified in writing and you know registered with the system person want to have a child they say okay you can be approved you have to have two first one's ours then you get the second one and that's how they so, do it so the government's actually run by rumpelstiltskin i think that's how it works okay um, mayor says she was sad sad when that broke up she's well you know it's 25 years because she was still a little sad um she says, what happened? And that's a tough question to ask somebody. I, I, you know, I, I've gotten away from the Uncle Lee out there to the kids segment, but I'm going to bring it back out of retirement. Whoop, bringing it back for this one. Mm-hmm. People break up. Let them tell you why. Like, ask, like, you know, I think that the tough thing that people do sometimes is they're trying to show, hey, Support, I'm invested in your life. Curiosity. I care. So they go, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I liked her so much. Don't say that. And then, <laughs> and then. What happened? You two were such a good couple. Don't say yeah, that. Don't say you were any so of perfect. You were so Scrap happy. Every moment was perfect Scrap between you at all hours and times. Yeah, shut up. Just be there for them. Scrap every bit of that because all you're doing is reminding them that they failed at something, or at least for a lot of people, that's how they'll take it. Yeah, and and you they don't need your commentary on if it was a good coupling or not. Right? It didn't no. work. So just eh. just say just say just say you're sorry and suggest you go out and do something together. I like the mayor, but eh, I didn't like that she uh, she brought this up this way. And Martha really um, stiff arms it, does a Spencer move really quick when getting into his personal life. She just makes like a very quick, easy joke, and they move on. She chewed with her mouth open, evade, move on, and you know, to the mayor's credit, she does move on. Would you say that based on this conversation that? The two of them have not talked in decades. Yeah, I mean, maybe messages. M- maybe messages passed that, of course, Bernard was reading in detail. Um, but yeah, the implication here is they certainly—I don't think—I've seen each other in maybe going on thirty years. For a while, for sure. Mayor looks at her and says, "One of my duties as mayor is appointing the next sheriff." One of the Zylo traditions is that the outgoing sheriff leave a suggestion as to who should be the next one to wear the star. Holston Becker chose you. Oh, no, this is uh, after she left, right? This mm-hmm. is after she got out of there. She's talking to Juliet. And she tells Juliet this. And this is so great because uh, she drops this. She goes, uh, Holston Becker chose you. <laughs> and Juliet goes, sorry, what? What? Sorry, what? Sorry, what? what? Notable in that conversation with Martha, she asked for Martha's opinion of Juliet. We don't get to see on camera what Martha says about her. Yeah, I jumped ahead a little bit because there's also a moment where um, the mayor asks Knox to leave and Juliet goes, can't you just stay? And he goes, eh, no, (laughs) you got this. And he just leaves. That that, that was a nice little moment between the two of them, though, where however much she very visibly butts heads with him, she clearly relies and depends on him and wants him to be there for emotional support right now. Can't you just say, yeah, but anyway, Mayor drops that. One of my duties is Mayor's appointing the next sheriff. You are the next. Holston Becker chose you. Sorry, what? And she goes, I must tell you, no one wants you for this job. (laughs) Starting there. Except for the deceased former sheriff. And I thought it was done. I thought the conversation was over with there. But she drops this one. And me. Which I is, did not know until now that she actually wanted her to take the job. Which, why do we think that is? Why do we think that she's now invested in the process of Juliet getting this job? Two things. Well, well first, well, three. Um, one. Four? She, three, let's say three. Because okay. one is, I think that, and she would, never, she would never admit this, 
but she likes the idea of picking somebody that judicial hasn't even registered or thought about. She likes that idea. Yep. So right away, she, she was okay with the idea. Second is the conversation you're talking about where she asked Martha, can you tell me about Juliet? I, th- I would imagine Martha gave a pretty solid character reference. And three, she just saw this entire room of mostly men and really gruff deep downers, like, you know, mm-hmm. gruff people who work with their hands, physical, all be brought to heel immediately of, of her expertise. Like they all just like got quiet, got out of the way. No questions asked. Juliet, Juliet is the presumed leader of this situation. And I think that's probably impressive to watch. How about you? Do you have three or four or five reasons? I I think you've summarized it perfectly. And I also would, I also would just throw in as well that the fact that the sheriff recommended her is carrying more weight than she may be willing to admit that she clearly valued Holston. She clearly trusted Holston. She respects his opinion and it's a tradition for a reason. And so the fact that he picked this seemingly random person out of the blue She's framing that as, just, oh, I just want to meet with her, you know, just curiosity's sake. I, I think that's carrying a lot more weight than she's representing right now, too. Because Marnes tries to characterize Holston as having lost it toward the end. The mayor clearly hasn't bought on to this concept that Holston had lost it at the end, which tells me that the mayor viewed his decision to go out much differently than Marnes did. 100%. Marnes is coping. The mayor is trying to understand. Yeah. So Juliet just goes... No. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair goes, call. Good, par- co- good par- talk. Pardon me? She says, look, I don't want it. Uh, did, you, did you hear Mars in the background? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to hide it. The mayor asks why. She goes, everybody thinks their job in the silo is the most important. Mine actually is. The generator, mm. she's not well. And if I'm not here to make her run, then uh, it doesn't finish that thought. Just goes, I have to take care of her. It's one of those things, too, where from what we just saw, what we see later, I kind of do want her running the running the generator. I don't. I think that's the job that she clearly is best at and uniquely well skilled among everyone else that's present. Maybe you should leave her in a position that's well tailored to her abilities. Yeah, I mean, I think that like most people in life have an outside outsized view of their own importance, and I think that like especially in the workplace, people do. Mm-hmm. But I think they're on to something that. In the hierarchy of importance of jobs, keeping the generator running is extremely high. I don't know if it's number one, but it's got to be top two or three. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, just practically speaking, yeah, there are jobs that have more, more direct, broader, broader responsibilities than running the generator is. But if that one fails, all other jobs fail in a way that I don't think anyone else has that claim. She pulls out the badge. The mayor just says, "Okay, well." To, oh yeah, no, because uh, when she says that. The mayor says, well, that's too bad. Holston wanted you to have this, whether you took the job or not, hands him the badge. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, okay, cool. And the mayor says, all right, we'll take care of Juliet. And she and Martin's walk out. Not before Martin stops, looks at her for just a second. She takes her in for a second and then leaves. And Juliet looks at him and goes, what the fuck is that? Basically like to herself. Do, do you think either of them looked at the back of the badge before they handed it over? The mayor did. You think the mayor did? You I think that's t- also factoring into some of the things she's doing here? I think, yeah. I think 100% the mayor did, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you there. It doesn't seem like she wouldn't, right? It doesn't seem like she would just pocket it. I think she would look at it. And I think if she saw that written on the back of it, she would assume that there was a important reason he, he selected her. And that's probably what she was trying to get at by going down there. But the problem is that when you're like a celebrity like she is in the society, 
she's not going to be a very good investigator. People aren't going to open up to the fucking mayor. Everybody's on edge when they talk to her, right? So she's not she's 100%. not able to really get to what this is. She's having to, to your point, she's having to kind of take it on faith that Holston knew what he was doing. Hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I think it's a very much a key factor of this is where she can't inherently meet people on equal unloaded terms, and so she can't have that kind of honest conversation. Maybe the only person she can with is is uh, Marnes. That's it. Yeah. So Juliet pulls out the badge, puts it in her pocket. Cut to the mayor leaving. Uh, everyone is on good behavior as she's passing in the hallway. You notice they all get quiet as she passes. Oh yeah. They kind of like cover up their little poker game they've got going right there in the corner for a second. Yeah. So then cut to that. They're gone. And now it's just Juliet with a group of them. And say, wow, that makes no sense. You sheriff. Why? That's from, that's from our boss, by the way. That's Knox asking that question. (laughs) Hey, Um, fair, fair. Let's be honest here. She's a woman of remarkable talents and intelligence and abilities. Those don't necessarily perfectly overlap with being the highest law enforcement, official law enforcement officer of of the state. I think she'd be fantastic at it. I think she'd be good at it. She's got there, definitely. Uh, she needs Marnes to be around a while to help work through what it will be a very difficult training wheel period. And I think that was the thought. I think that was probably the thought from Cooper. Is he probably thought I've got a deputy who has got thirty years of experience and is extremely good at the job who doesn't want it. This would be a great time to bring somebody in who has this raw skill set that could translate, but would need the on-the-job training. Marnes is the perfect person to do it. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Even with his abilities, whether he can teach her the necessary diplomacy to do that job. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good theory. Um, <laughs> so they offer up some some ideas because she gets shit done. She'd be a great sheriff. That one came from Coop, who she punched mm-hmm. fifteen minutes ago. By the way, Coop, you don't have to suck up. Yeah, she tells Hank, "It's what should be you." And he has to see the badge. She says the sheriff Holston was the reason he wanted to get into law enforcement in the first place. Holston was a important figure for him. Yeah, I I do think Hank would do a good job. I think Julian obviously has a higher skill maximum that she could reach with respect to this, but Hank I think would be perfectly competent in the job and would care. Yeah, but we're not going for that, right? That's what the mayor no, said. No, we're, we're not, not going, going for that. that. We're 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 taking a big swing here. That she that's what she exactly what she did. So the better on the idea, what she knows about law enforcement, and finally somebody goes, well, what did you know about being an engineer before you got here? And and Knox Fair. answers that one and says, well, not a whole lot. He he was there for it. He knows she didn't know too very, too too much. She um, she's had a couple decades though to get that knowledge now. Uh, Hank notices something is carved into the back of the bed. I don't know about a couple of that decades. I don't think that they're portraying a, a decade. Her. I don't know they're portraying her. To, I know the actresses. I think they're probably trying to portray her as twenty five, twenty six. Um, so more than a decade. Yeah, so for sure. That's a yeah. lot lot of experience to get where she is now. Yeah, yeah. Well, she'll have time to... She's she's young yet. She'll have time to learn the sheriff's job. Mm. Hank notices something is carved into the back of the badge. She just looks at it, and we get a cutaway, so we don't get to see it yet. Mayor Johns. This is... this is The mayor and Marnes are walking, and we hear Mayor Johns, and that is Juliet calling her down. Running him down, yeah. I've changed my mind. I'll take the job. Yay! I cheer. Spencer rolls his eyes. We one get, condition. We get some fun plot. One condition. There's a condition. Marnes asked, bemused. She says, I can't leave the generator until I know it's safe. And in order to fix the generator, we've got to shut it down. Whew. She just gets right to the heart of the matter. Marnes doesn't love that at all. Well, and this is one of the things of where she is really goddamn lucky that the mayor came down because there's no other way they would have been able to negotiate this as easily as it goes down here. Well, Unless the, question, the mayor had been there to see how bad it was. So my question for you is, once she saw the back of the badge... Would she have taken the job without being able to do this deal with the generator? Do you think 
Like how, how motivated did the back of the badge make her? It clearly changed her opinion of the job a little bit, right? Cause she went from no to yes, conditionally. Was it, was it a, the, was the conditional? Yes. A I'll throw it out there and see if I can get it, but I'm taking it anyway. Or was that truly her full stop position? It, it wasn't the, the carving the back of the badge was not an instant win. It got her over the line, but I think she's too beholden to her duties and her responsibilities and the care that she now associates with the thing that she helped fix and is going to fix to walk away from that just purely based on the badge. Interesting. I, uh, I don't know. I really don't know because I do think the back of the badge really motivated her. I do think I do. that I think that got changed things for her, but I'm not quite sure she would have left the generator without fixing it. I, I, I but I'm not sure on that point. I, I think if the mayor had told her no, you have to come now, no terms, no conditions. I think she, I, well, if any, knowing Juliet, she would have just said fuck you and walked away because Juliet. But even beyond that, I think she still would have just gone back to focus on the generator just because. That's not something that she can just leave. That's family in a way that she certainly can't emotionally leave anymore. I think she'd have said yes, and I'll be there in two weeks. And I think she'd have convinced Knox to shut it down on his own power. Just breaking the rules. <laughs> just ba- just continually talking his ear off because every single you, morning. Well, because you know that like, if the mayor had said no, and if everybody said no, and she knew that that's what you, you needed to do to fix a generator, she wouldn't have let it drop. Nope. Right? Couldn't. And so, so then the buck starts to stop with Knox, where she's just going to him and saying, we got to do this. We got to do this. You know, like that's your, that's your true job here. I could see a situation where that, that played out that way. Um, so in this back in the conversation where she's told the mayor and Lawrence that she needs to shut the generator down, deputy points out, look, backup's got minimal power, barely enough for life support. Spencer, what does the term life support mean? I'm guessing some degree of air filtration or air circulation that's occurring throughout the silo. I mean, they're underground. And they think the air has poison. It is being filtered in some way or scrubbed or who the hell knows. There's a lot of questions I have about how this thing runs after this episode. But clearly they believe that in some manner that they don't understand. They don't even know where the steam comes from, for example. Uh, I think I have an idea where the steam comes from. It comes from the center of the earth. It comes from below. It is geothermal in some way. It seems to have to be for the depth of whatever else is occurring Remember, here. I was laughing to myself when I heard that line. We don't know where steam comes from. I was like, I got an idea. How about below you? Down. They don't have a concept of hot spots of the mantle or geothermal power. It's beyond their knowledge. It's, it's the fair, will of the founders fair. and it comes from the earth. Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, uh, but I, it seems to be <laughs> that they're in some way taking air that's from above and filtering it to distribute throughout the, si- the silo. Um, and that... Pretty much the backup can only provide emergency lights and keep that going. Mayor points out what she's asking for has never been done. Mayor says, people will be terrified. She said, well, people will be terrified when the rotor shutters and they're all living off the backup forever. She ends by saying, look, I can do it. I can do it. Uh, it I alone, Spencer. I alone can fix it. Theoretically, it also could just be air scrubbers, too, where they're just recycling the same air over and over again, but, you know, removing the excess carbon dioxide that builds up. I like Juliet, if you can't tell. Yeah. Um, but she does have a little bit of a God complex here. A little? A little? Juliet is a little of a God complex? She has made this her creation. This is, you know, she didn't even need seven days. This is the thing that she has brought upon this world and only she can restore it. Yeah, because she says, I can do it. And I, I heard that line and I was like, oh, Juliet. I mean, like, because we see what, what has to happen for it to happen, right? Uh, apparently, it's not, the it's not just her. Apparently the founders also didn't make it easy on them easy on them either in terms of what's necessary to actually get this thing fixed. No, 
No. Uh, Marnes and, and the mayor look at each other. Uh, cut to an announcement that there will be an eight-hour power outage while they repair the generator. Begins at 10 p.m. that evening, presumably till 6 a.m. the following day. You can kind of hear the anxiety start to fill the hallways as this announcement goes over the loudspeakers, right? Like it's starting to, per, to sort of spread throughout the silo. Presumably. Well, not even presumably. Literally, from what we know, this has never happened before. They have no concept of this. They have no concept, really, of honestly encapsulating darkness extending beyond you know what they can control you are ordered to gather in the designated safe zones or stay home those that do not comply will be jailed what did you think about that directive martial law is in effect right now they're not again they're constantly concerned that this is a steamer pot that's ready to blow with the slightest provocation they take no chances when it comes to these kind of things. There's not a lot of trust in the citizenry, and I guess that comes None. from having the Civil War 140 years ago, where they, at least they believe that the citizens rose up and tried to open the door, right? Like oh, So also, they the, don't have any the, trust in them. The, the, the appointment of a sheriff has been delayed by a few days, and the people are arming themselves in the streets. Their concerns are justified. Well, you know, you you say that, but what we saw was people getting... Weapons that you could describe as defensive weapons that like to just keep in their house or something. So I don't I don't know that that necessarily means like the militia is like you know forming. Um, but I don't they, know. Don't, they don't know either, and they're, very, and they're they are concerned and making sure that there is no chance of it getting any more. We get a shot of Bernard looking at something. Did you have a sense of what that was? Uh, I wasn't clear. I mean, he, it seemed like he was so shocked and surprised by the message, like that hadn't been run by or vetted by for him before. But I wasn't sure what he was reading on his computer. Yeah, I, I kind of, in retrospect, look at that as like maybe that was um, how he got the information about the deal that she she struck because he clearly mm. knows it at the end. And the yes. first thing out of the mayor's mouth is like, how in the hell did you know that? Uh, that this may have been the moment that he learned about it. Well, some, someone on the street is either tailing them or someone in engineering works for them, clearly. Got to Juliet explaining that a small tent, dent or a regular surface on a plane going through that much motion will over time continue to become more and more irregular expand she calls it a small wobble gradually building into a large wobble so technical terms there um she, she, she does a nice little visual demonstration with that little dreidel of hers that you know yeah. that, that works well, that, that, that quite well demonstrates what the danger of even a slight imperfection could be in terms of maintaining the, per, the uh, perfect cir- uh, rotation that they need she's using a little prop to prove the point she explains that if the thing breaks they won't be able to make it Make enough juice for even a single level. Ooh, that's tough. She says they're going to turn it off, go in there, and fix it. And did you tell the mayor we can't actually do that, says Shirley? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and I, Fair. I, I did a big old, like, I was kind of casually watching this the first time. And she goes, she, she says that, and I go, like, what, what, what was it? You can't do that. Juliet says, sure we can. Which prompts Shirley to point out that if Knox turns the steam off, the whole thing might blow up. Uh, uh, hmm, interesting point. This is interesting because it doesn't seem like any of the rest of them know about this. It's almost like Shirley's, I guess, this is her assigned domain. Because everybody else seems caught off guard about how fast this will go to hell. Yeah, I mean, I got the sense that Shirley was the only one that had done, like, real studies and, like, mathematics that could actually, like, start to calculate these things. Mm. Um, Because they don't, I mean, it's all theoretical, right? They've never shut the door before. So she... To know the half-hour number, it would seem to me that she'd have to have run some sort of model to figure this out right she's either run a model or they've fiddled with this before because they clearly know that they can adjust the door and control the steam flow that's part of their job they've never like they've never closed the door to where for 30 minutes yeah because when they close the door the thing goes off 
it, th thing, the, th the generator gener goes off, it doesn't spin anymore, and things start breaking very rapidly. So I'm willing to believe that they've cl like closed it a little bit just to you know test with it and control the flow as part of day-to-day -day operations. Everything else is theoretical. Uh, anyway, uh, Knox doesn't love the term blow up. You can tell when she says that. <laughs> he, he puts his head down. Juliet says she doesn't know how long they'd have. Maybe, maybe an hour. Shirley says, ah, lucky to get half that. Let me explain why. Cut to the chalkboard, right? Like she's going to bring everybody into class. Cut to Marnes, who is... Uh, we, 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 the audience, are learning with the rest of the engineering crew. <laughs> cut to Marnes, who's giving orders to the deputy, saying, look, he's giving you know, orders to everybody for that evening when they shut the power mm -hmm. off. Uh, saying they'll have no idea what's going to happen and they have to be vigilant and active. Marnes tries to dismiss the mayor to the bunker, but she says, no, she'll stay right there with Marnes, I suppose. Marnes says that this has never happened before. They have no idea what to expect. So he's kind of basically saying like, I'd like to get you somewhere safe. And she's like, yeah, cool story. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> the captain goes down or up with the ship and she's going to be remain there her duty. She says, people, also, go ahead. Also, at this point, if they put her in a secure bunker, what's that really going to do? If things get bad enough that she needs to be in a secure bunker, the world is screwed. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I guess you could... I, I don't know that it's, like, bad enough. Yeah, I, I see your point. This isn't that, but, um, yes, if they ever had to put her in there, then, yeah, probably so. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, unless it was, like, the Civil War, though. They probably did put the mayor in the thing that the Civil War, but they did seemingly get things back under control at some point. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Hold, hold the stairs. They're presumably at the top. She says, people are going to be afraid and a quiet quiet tonight. They, they're not going to do it. She, she's predicting people aren't going to do anything tonight. They're just going to be afraid and quiet. Marn says, what happens tomorrow if lights don't come back on? She jokes, hope you have the combination to the gun safe. <laughs> it's interesting as well how much, how much they have in the way of guns. We haven't seen that as much really yet. But presumably they have a arsenal of supplies in a way that I can't imagine they're making gunpowder down here. So that's a pretty finite collection they got there. Nope. Gun safe. I think that they have a, yeah, they've got, they, they, they have some guns and some bullets and they only bust them out when they really need them. I think that's their nukes, right? That's their like yes. last possible thing. Um, hundred percent. It's got surely given a, given them a lesson about the steam. It comes from somewhere. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to guess below. They don't know where she says, <laughs> you think it's coming from the down. I think it's coming down. Yeah. She says there's a containment chamber that protects the turbine in case there's a sudden surge and someone needs to regulate the flow. You want to stop the generator? Knox says, close this main valve all the way that happens. You get about 30 minutes before the pressure red lines and he needs to release it again for her to have that number 30 minutes in this highly theoretical conversation. It seems to me like she did some math. All right. Minor quibble just to express. All right, go. This is, this is a system that is devised in a way that can't be fixed. I don't know why the founders would build it in a way of where you literally can't turn it off or there's a backup system or there's a reroute in any way that you can replace the turbines in this thing. Turbine's going to break. The fins in this are going to warp. That's a natural part of having these kind of things. So the fact that you pretty much literally can't turn this thing off suggests in my mind that they did not build this thing in a way that could be fixed, suggesting, if we're giving them a benefit of the bat for the showrunners, this thing that was intended to have a very finite life that is long since passed. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, a, I'd also yeah. strongly advise the engineering team, if they don't if they have just forgotten where the backup fins are, because dear God, why aren't there why aren't there any? They need to have made some and have those available for the future. I guess the problem with that is that they don't they don't act because the thing never stops. 
they they actually don't have not looked at these. They don't know what it looks like. Exactly. Um, I'm more meaning this for like tomorrow kind of thing of like now that you know this is a thing. Use that photographic memory and get one of these things ready to go for the future. Yeah, at least at least as close as you can get it, right? Yes. Um, that, that is a good idea going forward. But yeah, right now they don't even know what they look like. Um, just know that they're there in theory. She says they need more time. Can we keep it in the red? And she goes, well, we could if steam was cold. <laughs> it's a little smart Fair. answer there. Fair. But it's not. It's steam. Uh, the more pressure it's under, the hotter it gets. And that pressure gets hotter. And on and on and on. And boom, it blows up. Juliet confirms, okay, 30 minutes. She agrees. <laughs> totally, it's going to be 30 minutes. You can trust the math. There's no way going to be in any way shaved off from 30 minutes. Knox goes about talking them through how to do it. First, they're going to have to remove the panel C and D. Someone's shocked by that. They confirm each one weighs 1.35 tons each. Oof. That's a, that's a lot, particularly when he says they're going to have like five guys on a one. I'm guessing they've got a winch to better, better distribute out that weight. Otherwise, five guys, in no world are five guys moving a 1.35 ton like panel off that thing. How many pounds is that? Uh, I mean, a ton. A ton is, is two thousand pounds. Probably not. Again, there's many things that they could do that could better. There's some. There's some pretty strong weight. people who could deal with heavy weight, but it, yeah, probably four hundred fifty pounds each. Yeah, good luck. I, yeah, I don't know, man. People throw up around some serious weight, but, but you'd uh, have to met- you'd have to be dealing with people who like do this for a living, like who met- are like bodybuilders. Met- a metric ton is literally twenty two hundred pounds. It's a lot of weight. Yeah, she says. He says, guys, and this is a ton and a half. And when they when they start to get each. deflated, they start to get deflated by that number. He says, look, guys, there's no part of this that's going to be easy. The slightest mistake at any point gets somebody killed or worse, leave 10,000 people in the dark forever. I think this is one of the first times we hear 10,000. I, I told you when I gave you that number, I told you, like, they just slip it in and it's not like a big reveal. So I think it was an OK thing to sort of tell you early on. Yeah, it's perfectly fair. And he says the slightest mistake at any point could uh, yeah, get somebody killed. Uh, but five of our strongest guys on each panel, once they're open, I'll slow it to 50 percent. He says they'll identify the problem and then Jules will signal to them when they are ready when the clock starts. So Jules is going to, going to tell him when to shut it off completely, and that's when they go in. And just, as you said, your, your man mechanical, he is he, though each individual will be running their own little separate part of this plan, he's the one that's coordinating and putting it into action. Yeah, and it, you know he has developed credibility with this crew over time, mm-hmm. such that when he, he sort of sets the stage here, you don't have micro quibbles that could destroy the whole thing. Because if people didn't have faith in the leadership, they could go, well, I, well, hold on. We shouldn't do it that way. We should do it this slightly different way. And these little like micro corrections will just degrade any sort of plan like that. And the fact they don't do that, I think, is really helpful to them all getting on the same page and just executing. Is it also fair to say that um, from the impression we have at this point that uh, when you're assigned to somebody as their shadow, you're with them for years kind of thing. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, a six month rotation kind of whatever else. She's so, still Knox's shadow. That's, that's the point I'm bringing up, is that the two of them have been working together for maybe, you know, 10 years kind of thing right now. If a lot not, of trust has been may, earned. Maybe, I mean, by his comment, that she he could, he could confirm that she knew very little when she got down to mechanical. Yeah. It might have been since she's 13 that she's been his shadow. 100%. She may have been his shadow before he became head of mechanical. Yeah, Maybe. Um, so he says, now Jules, who do you want up there with you? And she just gives Coop a look like, hmm, all right, it's going to be you. Let's go time, Coop. Let's go. Trial by fire. Let's hey, go, Coop. And Coop, honestly, he makes a couple of mistakes, but he carries through pretty well by the he end. He does a great job, I think. So cut to the sheriff rounding everybody up. He's trying to get everybody in the safe zones, out of the hallways, all that mm-hmm. stuff. 
Let me see Knox give Shirley the go-ahead. She switches to back up, and it all shuts down. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, boom, did, boom, boom. question. Oh, did you, see, you saw that, did you? Just, just wanted huh. to bring it up, make sure it wasn't, you know, going insane briefly. Tell me, my friend, huh. did, did the screen in the cafeteria briefly look a little funny? It did indeed. Do you have any? Th- let's let's save that till theory time. But please, let's remember to talk about uh, it. I, I've got so, a note on it. We will get there. What happens is when every and and it's actually doing that sound that I just said. Boop, boop, everything, every light the, is the shutting down. The breaker's going off. Yeah. The screen that sh- sh- supposed to show the outside that you know everybody when cleaning you know, right they clean the lens of this camera flashes to that green super lush beautiful world perfection that allison saw Sun is shining that the sheriff saw for a second and then flips right back yep utterly pristine utterly perfect and utterly very similar to every other time we've seen it do you think anybody else in the cafeteria saw it i is this the equivalent of tyler durden's penis of where they don't maybe not consciously know that they saw it, but they totally it's subconsciously registering that they saw it. I think people saw it, knew they saw it, and are scared and were, to, scared to say anything about it. That, that's more my impression of where people were physically reacting to what the fuck was that? Kind there of was thing. a gas. No one's afraid. Yeah. No, no one wants to comment about it, and I don't think they will. Uh, cut to them getting started near the generator. Hear that the backup is holding steady. Uh, so that's good, at least. Uh, Knox, because if backup doesn't hold, they have to turn this thing <laughs> right back on immediately, right? Because the airflow situation. Yes. Knox cuts steam to 50%. He watches it go down. He tells them to get started on the panels, and they do. Fuckers look big, too. Jules is watching it. Knox joins her. Coop just watches as well. We see the spinning turbine spin, spin, spin. She looks at it and says, that's where I got to go. Tense music is playing here. This is when we start to get to an action movie sequence like Armageddon, something like that, mm-hmm. like Spencer referenced. Coop is fiddling with his buckle, and she asks if he's okay. She says, look, when we get up there, we're going to fix what we can. Anything larger, we're going to send down for others to fix. Okay, got it? Got it, Coop. You got it. Lock in with me, Coop. Mm-hmm. Knox yells for Jules, you give me the word. She's ready, as is Coop. As am I. We're ready to do mm-hmm. this. Let's go. You ready, man? Let's get let's get going. She gives him the thumbs up. They close the hatch. The 30 minutes start now. And we see the hatch close. The pressure starts to build. Juliet takes just a second as the turbine is slowing, slowing to compose herself. And it comes to a complete stop. She yells now. Ad goes off. They are quickly hoisting her up, right? And it, it she's boop, boop, boop. They are pulling her up. All Knox can do is watch at this point because the whole plan is in progress. She tells them to stop. She takes when she's at the level where she needs to fix, right? She takes one look and says, shit, oh, it's bad. Well, that's not a good sign. So whatever yeah. whatever the problem was with one of the individual blades on the turbine is worse than she had envisioned. Yeah, and, and if you see it's this blade later, it is crunched like the bumper on my first car kind of thing. I mean, that, that thing is all sorts of warped from, I'm sure what was originally a minor imperfection that is now compounded on itself from years of constant spinning. And as bad as that is in the moment, and as bad as it's going to be for the next 10 minutes on screen, it does give an awful lot of validation for her decision to push to shut it down. Because that thing was in bad shape, right? And we, we see when that thing is spending, that there, that thing is like glowing red as it's going by whatever else, or at least an area around it. Because it is so out of place, it is grinding on all the metal around it each time it spins around. And if it snapped, and poof, you know, it could, you know destroy the rest of it stop it completely right so Mm -hmm. she immediately notices that the the plate the blade that's the problem right she's going to send it down fix the rest up there apparently there's maybe a few other areas to to fix while they're up there she tells coop to get on the other side she's 
fighting he's fighting his fear of heights here shout out to him for that too because he's having to stand on this ledge and he looks down at one point and, and real recognize real i know somebody who's scared of heights <laughs> he was scared of heights right so up the resources start to go they're picking up tools she says you know how i say doing things right is better than doing things fast right now i need both well that okay helpful that cool, cool line of dialogue juliet i'm not sure that really helps anything she says she needs her tools she gets to work barking orders at him and he's right there with her definitely pulling his weight Mm-hmm. They send the larger Car- carrying his weight here in a second. They send a larger blade down. She goes to fix the smaller blades. Coop <laughs> but, ends but, up dropping the blade. Yeah, by sending it down, you mean dropping it from a significant height. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. Things are already pretty fucked up. Uh, Knox shakes some life back in everybody after the thing falls. Tells them pick it up, fix it, get it back to Jules quick. She's yelling for Coop to get up and help her with the bolt. So what she said is like. No, no time, Coop. There's no time for this. You, 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 we're not even going to think about the fact you just dropped that thing. I got yeah. work for you to do right here. From, so, from a, from a purely realism standpoint, this is one of the moments of what I prefer that they just had replacements and now they're struggling to get the replacement in time because there is no way in my mind that they're going to grind this thing. Which that's purely what they do is the bullshit's like a grinder on it, try to get back into place in a way that's going to render it so flawlessly without imperfections that it's not going to cause cause more problems once they put it back in there again. I refuse to believe that other than it's a show and having, you know, sparks flying everywhere is appropriately, appropriately dramatic. Wouldn't it have been better if there was like some sort of large vice that sort of mashed it back into like a perfect It's like, let's let's superheat this thing, make it malleable, and then put it back into almost like a mold-like kind of thing. Because otherwise it's always going to have little dents, it's always going to have little things that are just going to cause the exact same problems going forward that she just talked about. Like, Turbine blades need to be very precisely perfect because any at the speed they turn at any imperfection is going to lead to the problem. Yeah, if they were just sort of putting it into a machine that basically reforms it, yeah. that would have been better than the sparks flying. I agree. But sparks are dramatic. Sparks are dramatic. Uh, so cuts are just some random people throughout the silo, and they seem scared, just like the mayor thought. And they are quiet, just like the mayor thought. We hear someone <laughs> yelling for daddy. And Sims comes over to comfort him. Sims has a kid. We learned that. Sims has a kid. He's a here. loving father. This is clearly a guy that could do no evil or do no wrong. Clearly. He is a white hat. We misjudged him. There will be no further issues, whatever, with respect to this character. Oh, that's where your mind went. Okay. Because my, my mind went as a supporter of the mayor to, oh, all right. Well, we got a little way to maybe manipulate Sims's behavior <laughs> Oh, here. man. May, yeah. Mayor's playing blackmail kind of thing. We've got this. a way to, yeah, we got something he cares about. We've learned about. Okay, that's good info, info, info to have. <laughs> I got it. He's got a weak spot. He's got someone he loves. Yeah, he for sure. That. I'm supporter Bill, of the mayor, my friend. Reminder um, to our audience: Do not get on Lee's back side, bad side. Cut to Mars, who is drawing the mayor, and this is the scene that you talked about where he actually drew Charles her. Um, I, I I pay for that sketch at a fair. He uh, he's getting updates on his radio. All quiet now. The mayor comes in. Hair down. Look out! Hair down. If you're if you're if you're Mars at this point, what are you expecting? Uh, I don't know. And he turns a picture over so she doesn't see it. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah. And uh, she comes in and says, "I can't sleep." And he says, "Then don't." So off they go. So we get this line of dialogue: Ten thousand people aren't sleeping right now. I bet you there's a few people that are sleeping, but not many. Me, right here. Fine. Yeah. If I've decided this is going to be the day of the week that I sleep, nothing's going to interfere with that. 
Yeah, even 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 the impending Armageddon that might happen the next one, it doesn't matter. Outside my control. Yeah, might as well be well rested for it. Uh, terrified the power won't cap back, come back on, afraid maybe the groundwater will rise and they'll drown, or maybe a bunch of nut jobs will bust out through the top and let the poison in. We've always been one catastrophic failure away from the end of it all, and this just makes everyone conscious of it. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Makes you appreciate the day you have. Yeah, fair points. Fair points. She says, I know you think a point of Nichols is a mistake. Something about her makes me hopeful. I I wish in some ways that she would be more open with him about what reasons she has with respect to this decision. Because she needs him to believe, too. If anything, he's the most important person she needs to have belief in this. Because he's going to be her shadow. In many ways, she's going to be his shadow with respect to this job. So... She kind of needs to sell him on it more, but she's relying on the fact that he also just cares about her to the point that he's going to go along with it regardless. Or just that he's a professional enough that he'll just do his job. I think that that's part of that, too, that she just trusts that no matter who she no matter who she appoints, he's going to do the same level of quality job. I think she has that faith in him. Would be better if he also believes in it, too. Probably. Uh, but you know, she's probably weighing that against the risk of, you know, saying, well, there's, there's more to Holston's decision here, which she got just a brief little window in with the back of that badge that she may not want him to pick at that scab. So she's maybe more depending on what the conversation she had with Martha. We don't know what that was. So she's continuing the quote here. She says, hopeful enough. I might be able to hand the reins over to someone else. He's like, you're going to retire to do what? Sit around and knit. She says, why not? (laughs) I fucking love the mayor. Why not? Why wouldn't I? That sounds fucking great. (laughs) Maybe open a shop right next to some guy who does drawings. And he looks at her. Look at these two. He says, you know, I didn't come all this way just to meet Nichols. I wanted to spend some time with you. He just smiles and breathes. He says, I know that's why I came. She leans in and kisses him. And yay. And you you were thinking this is like the first time they kiss or something? This this seemed like this was a certain admission of feelings in a way they haven't openly done before. This this didn't just feel like this was just for our benefit. It felt like in some ways even they were like you know willing to let their hair down as it were more than usual. I think they've hooked up. My my impression is they've hooked up before, but this is just them flirting. I don't know. Previously they were drunk. It was on a bender. There was a big sports game going on. This is the two of them stone cold sober talking about their future. Yeah, but I mean like no 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 they didn't. None of this says they've never said this before. They're just saying it. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I get that you're like inferring that they, this is like kind of the first time they've had these admissions, but like, nowhere, but nowhere in the dialogue, she says, you know, I didn't come on this way to meet Nichols. I wanted to spend some time with you. That could just be flirting. And he says, I know that's why, why I came. So I just don't think, we, I don't think we know. And honestly, don't think it matters because whoop, somebody's leaving, <laughs> exiting stage left. Um, yeah, well, yeah, one person's tickets going in a different direction than the other, I'm afraid. <laughs> Cut to Knox watching this whole thing go down. And I, you know, from this moment out, obviously you feel bad for Juliet, who literally puts her life on the line in two different ways. Yes. As heroic as you can possibly be in mechanical ever, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and showing why she'd probably be a good sheriff. Or at least there are things about her that would contribute to her being a good sheriff. Sure. Dedication of nothing else. But I feel bad for Knox because he has a ball of anxiety watching this and he can't control <laughs> any of it directly. Like yeah. he's having to watch all this go down and just deal with looking at that dial going and going. And he's got to make the call. Do I close it and kill Juliet or wait and maybe blow everything up? Like that's yeah, yeah. fucking hard. Yeah, the, the power is solely within his control too. It is, uh, the decision is solely on him too. Is that if things get bad enough... 
he needs to press a button that kills Juliet and also kills Coop, who's going to get ripped apart by the blades up there, too. Correct. Assuming the damn thing even spins when it's missing one of its turbines at that point. Although I do think that the, the turbine starts Our, to... Well, fins. I do think the turbine starts to spin not super fast. A Coop could have potentially jumped off the side, maybe. Uh, it might not kill Coop, but it's definitely going to kill Juliet. 100%. Um, so he asks how much time, and she says a few minutes. He runs out and tells them they only have a few minutes. And he, she is surely here. Shirley's telling him, look, you only got a minute or two. Knox is explaining that it's overheating. It's going faster than they thought. Mm-hmm. It's got to open the valve. She's yelling back, no, no, not without the rotor blade. Fuck. So she's saying, don't bail on the plan yet. Don't do it. Let Give us some more time. She looks up. Knox is yelling to get Teddy to go faster. Teddy's the guy who's down there making the absolutely perfect flawless it's like da vinci straw it's like da vinci drawing a, a perfect freeform circle with his hand right that's what, that's what our guy is doing. with with a with a grinder it's like that is a man of talent right there absolutely perfect he says he's going faster and coop and knox he'll try harder knox asks surely how it's going she says it's getting worse <clears throat> coop asks her what they do and she says he needs to be in position it's just like i taught you this is coop asking Juliet. I, I do feel like this is Juliet, again, maybe having a bit too much of a god complex. What her plan is here, she could have told somebody else to go to. <laughs> maybe it would have been better if she stayed here at the position of where more, te- more technical knowledge is required than point, ho- point hose and pray. So, yeah. For sure. I do think she has faith that Coop can put the, the thing back in. I don't think that's too difficult of a job to put it back in. And I just get the sense from her that if like if anyone is she's the type of person and it's like maddening it's it's in character 100 percent. not disputing she's the type of person spencer would never appoint as general because she (laughs) because she will not tell someone to do something to risk a life that she's not willing to do herself immediately right like it's just the type of person she is right i think even just leaving coop up there delegating that was difficult enough on her really she tells him to get the angle right. Coop looks at her and starts a sentence and says, I can't do this with it. She says, no, look at me. You can do this. You are ready. Cut the jewels. She tells Teddy to go ahead and get it up there. Julia then runs off to the side, tells everyone she's going to buy him more time. I didn't know what she was doing. And then she pulls the hose out. And I thought, oh, my God in heaven, this lady's crazy as hell. And yeah. Yeah. She opens the, the door to the generator. She's got a visual on the cover. She brings the hose in there and starts spraying water directly on it. Fucking wild scene. What, fucking wild scene, visually impressive. In real life, she's dead. Yeah. 100%. She's dead, A, the moment she goes in the room. Well, the water's the boiling. Heat, the, the heat rating off the metal alone would have killed her already. Then she's spraying water on there. The steam burst that would occur from that would have instantaneously given her third-degree burns. And then she's standing in what is, you know, superheated boiling water. Yeah. This woman is a Targaryen, the heat that she endures and survives. Hey, she... Associate with your it all makes sense. So check, check, check. Agree with everything said. What they want you to know is uh, she's willing to lay her life on the line for the silo. The, the thing they want you to focus on is the water that's pooling up around her that she, that's nearly causing her to drown. Because she's scared of water, which we established 30 minutes earlier in the show. Knox she overcomes. At the, Knox looks at the valve and it's cooling down. She says, fuck, it's working. And he just mutters to himself, you crazy bitch. It's like he's, he's had to say that a few times to himself. <laughs> so, I'm sure he mumbles that in his sleep almost every night with how he's had to endure with this woman. But as it's happening, the generator's filling up with water. You know, she's scared of water. She's risk of being burned, exploded, drowned. All, I mean, that lots of different ways to die in this situation. Yeah. Cuts to the deputies working. Some guy starts yelling, help, help. And they go get him down. It's just, it's just an old guy. He's just there. Uh, 
Did I was I alone in finding this vaguely suspicious that they took the time to focus on this one particular dude that hours after they've shut well a significant time after they've shut off the lights just suddenly appears confused and lost on the stairs. It, well, game the theory out. What what could it be? What 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 is left to happen in this episode? Perhaps in some way it's affiliated with the mayor dying later. Oh, I don't know. Maybe uh, cuts to the deputies working. Um, yeah, they help that guy get him out. And then um, cuts to Teddy, who is still working on the blade. Cut to Juliet, who has the water all around her. Coop is yelling for the blade. Shirley is warning Knox that Juliet doesn't have much time. Finally, Teddy has the blade fixed, and they start to raise it. Mm-hmm. Shirley tells Juliet that the blade is on its way up to Coop. We follow the blade. Tense as fuck. Knox is watching the valve. Coop gets the blade. He can't drop it again, is on all caps in my fucking notes. <laughs> I, I, I was panicking on that. Kind of said, okay, Mr. Dropsy, this is not the time. A, not enough time to get it back up here. B, it's a miracle it's as perfect as it is. If you drop it again, we're all fucked. Water's filling up around her. She's screaming, come on, hurry, come on, hurry. She's starting to panic. And I do think the actress does a great job of like, oh yeah, like literally panicking. Like she's screeching that like, you know, come on now. Ironically, as a guy who enjoys scuba diving, I've got a kind of intrinsic fear of drowning. So that water slowly building up over your head and everything else that she's going through, that was putting me on pins and needles. The valve is red and getting redder. Knox runs in there. Coop, get that blade on. It's going to blow. Coop is struggling with the blade. Some of the pipes are starting to push and bust and blow because all oh. the pressure is, is at the red. It's living in the red, as they were talking about earlier. Knox is struggling watching all this unfold. The pipes just continuing to start to burst. Pop, 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 all the way down the line. Coop is pushing mm-hmm. the blade up, screaming. He kind of drops it a little bit at one point, but he catches it. Oof, uh, scary. Anyway, gets it back up, and he's continuing trying to fit it in. Cut to Juliet, who's now firmly underwater, cannot breathe at all, and she is struggling. And then we hear Shirley screaming, get her out, get her out, boss, she's drowning. Suddenly, boom, Coop has it. Great timing, right? He yells, mm-hmm. done. Knox yells, Coop, get down, get Jules out. They're all running. They grab the hose. Guess what? Juliet isn't in there. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Buried Alive match in the WWE. I haven't, no. But basically what they do is they, in the, in the arena, they'll have a section um, where there's, you know, like some dirt and they put one of the wrestlers in and then they put dirt on it, like buried them alive, you know? Yeah, You're kidding? That. No, they do that shit. Wrestling's that, that's, that, that's a thing? Yeah, wrestling's dope. And inevitably, inevitably, as you, as the, as the, the, he's buried them, the match is over and we're getting ready to cut away and the pay-per-view Last is second. over. The you hand see is the up. Hand yeah. up. You see the hand come up through the, through the <laughs> ground. And that's what we got from Jules here. Just in the moment you thought maybe she didn't survive. Maybe, I don't know. She boiled to death in there. Boom. <laughs> hand comes up, she pulls over and she gets out of there. F- feeling like a lobster, but otherwise intact. Juliet then gets her head about her. She asks if Coop got it done. They are watching, listening. Generator goes, whoop, 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 whoop. faster, 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 faster. And they're cheers, and cheers, and everyone knows, ah, look, it worked. And Knox and, almost falls the fuck down out of stress. I mean, he is yeah. like, the wind almost comes out of him. You, you've talked before about how much you enjoy ASMR in terms of like, you know, yeah, sounds it. that during an effect. That's awesome. I, I, I don't, as we've talked about before, but that, that eventual just perfectly resonant hum that the generator hits, that was nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that, that was that was a good. Yeah, they, and they did a great job of like when these guys are talking. The generator is at like a two, but for that yeah. scene, they juiced the volume to nine just so you could hear it, and then they pulled yeah. it back down when they started talking. Again, there are rules of theater that apply regardless of medium. We need to understand the actors when they talk. But Knox, when he just he just goes oh, like he just like has this like super crazy stress like 
almost like falls down. Like he's just can't believe this all worked and he's just a ball of anxiety. You're Knox. You taking a day after this? Honestly, I don't think you can. I think you got to watch. I think you got to watch this thing really close if it starts to fuck up. But I mean, in, in theory, I would be on whatever level is the vacation level for two months. I mean, I, this is insane. It's like the most stressful thing he'll ever do. 469. It's a lovely place. Ah, that's that's where the vacation is, 469. Ironically enough, the, the founders had some reason behind it involved laughing, but we've forgotten it now. Do you it's think everybody just says, mutters nice to themselves as they walk past it? <laughs> no, that's actually just the coda as you walk into the floor. Just it says nice as you walk on. <laughs> Juliet also rocked in this situation. Knocks run down there. He's hugging Coop. Coop is eyes bugging out of his head. He can't believe it. They're all cheering. Juliet is just so quiet. Shirley hugs her, and I think she's completely drained. Cut to the lights coming back on in the silo. Everybody smiles and cheers. Noticeable when the lights come back on in the silo, we see the lights come back on in the cafeteria and the screen. And the green lush screen doesn't flash when the lights yep. come back on. It flashed when the lights went off. It did not flash when the lights came back on. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that, but that is an interesting difference that occurs right there. Yeah, I mean... Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We, we're going to dedicate an entire segment at the end to discussing that damn screen. Then we see the sun at the top come on. And he says, I hope you're not expecting... Then we, we're cutting to Martha and Juliet talking. Hope you're not expecting me to praise you for doing your job, says mouthy little Martha. And mm-hmm. uh, she says, you weren't wrong. I haven't left this place. Juliet apologize you know julia apologizes and she says you weren't wrong i haven't left the place in a long time yeah but i failed and i took it out on you martha ask her how she failed i tried to do this martha asking julia how she failed i tried to do what george wanted me to and i couldn't martha says she didn't know what to think about her and the computer guy Shirley told me he made you smile and that got a smile out of juliet so i'm sorry you didn't get to beat him <laughs> martha's, got, <laughs> martha's got secrets she's hey, oh Ma- i didn't tell you I told you, Martha is prop Joe, man. I've been telling you this already. She basically beckoned him. She called him into her shop on some yep. on a fake ticket, and uh, in in comes the guy, and she was able to meet him. And Juliet mm-hmm. smiles despite herself, and and she says, "Before I go, and Martha, says, take up a job you're clearly unqualified for." Sharing an opinion with Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think she I think can learn it, but she has none of the natural skills. I think she's going to be great. Juliet, Juliet jokes about her words of encouragement. Juliet pulls out the camcorder, I think. I think this was the camcorder. Yeah. This Martha's is a very, cons- a very late 90s, early 2000s camcorder. Martha's concerned it's a relic, and Juliet basically says, hey, can you look at this for me? Um, I want you to check this thing out for me while I'm gone. She says she'll send messages. Martha assures her, look, Sheriff's got a radio. I'll be listening to you. One more thing for Martha. Don't end up like George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martha's been poo-pooing for a while. What happened to George? Been trying to banish those thoughts. This suggests she maybe has been believing, believing a little bit more than uh, a little bit more of what Juliet's been saying than she's been letting on. Cuts the mayor and Marnes. She asked for some water. They're they're walking uh, down the silo. Uh, asked for some water and. I guess they're walking up at this point. Yeah. Um, she asked for some water, so she gets it out of his pack. His drinks, pack. Out of his pack and drinks. Bernard Let's comes remember up. that one for later. Bernard comes up. Mayor Johns, please tell me why this silo spent last night in the dark. Martin's, because it was night. <laughs> very good. Thank you. I'm talking with her right now. The mayor is still very much concerned with her own turf. Says, um, I made the call. I made it. 
And he says, you made a deal with Juliet Nichols, our soon-to-be sheriff. The mayor goes, how did you hear that, Bernard? And I have the same motherfucking question for Bernard. Spymaster. You, you made a deal with Juliet Nichols, and I would venture a guess here that this was a mistake on Bernard's part. Yes. He did 100%. not need to... He did not need to tell her that he knew that level of detail because that would pique a lot of curiosity as to how he knows that specific detail. He didn't. He didn't need to. He didn't need to divulge that. Everything else they know that he gossips with judicial. That's an easy way to acquire the information. This he's either got physical spies or digital spies monitoring them because there's no other way he got that information, particularly as fast as he did. As I filled out my sheriff ballot and circled in the little circle next to Juliet Nichols' name, Spencer said this to me. She's a thief for mechanical. 10,000 lives, Ruth, and all the generations that follow that. I pray to the founders you are right. You, you speak the truth, Bernard. Banish these just unnecessarily optimistic individuals that are choosing to upend our society for the sake of their own objectives. No real experience. Cut to Juliet talking to Shirley. She says, she hadn't left mechanical since she got there. Shirley says, she, you know, so, she, so it seems like Julia has not made it to floor 69 for any sort of vacations or anything since she's been there. She's basically worked since she was 13 straight. That's what the implication is here. Mm-hmm. Shirley says, you can always come visit. Says, You're going to be great. She looks at the badge and we get this flashback. Juliet yelling at Holston. What about finding out the truth? And he says, if I find something, I'll send a signal. I promise. We see the back of the badge. He has... He has scraped into the back of the badge truth, the word truth. Hell of a message that you need to take this job. There's more information for you to find. Juliet looks up at the silo. She starts to move. Cut to the mayor, signing the document, appointing Juliet the sheriff. And I paused it to look at it. This is the document that appoints Juliet sheriff. And already we can see that she's struggling because that signature is pushing the definition of legible she's getting that thing out and she's breathing heavily yes and he's like are you okay and she says i'm fine i'm fine she says why don't you grab a bottle of wine take me back to my apartment (laughs) which one she's whatever one you want hey ruth you think one bottle will be enough maybe i get two huh ruth ruth funk here's her fall goes to the bathroom i like the little i like the little um detail that she locked the door because i think that would just be habit to just lock it behind you um and so he bangs and bangs. He breaks the handle, busts in. She's on the ground. Blood coming out of her mouth. It seems like she can't breathe. Help, help. Somebody, she can't breathe. This is Marnes. Boom. End of episode. A heck of a way to end the episode. Away. I normally oh. clap at the end of the recap, but I can't clap you're, for my You're, you're not going to celebrate the death of the mayor? No, I'm not. I like the mayor a lot. Uh, she's a great character. I, 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 presumably, you can tell me this. Am I correct in assuming she's dead? Um, or, or you're going to wait for me to find out next episode to be sure. Yeah, she's dead. I can tell you that. Yeah, she's dead. I mean, come on. I mean, that, that That is a lot of blood from the mouth. That is not she's just dead. I fell and cracked a tooth. That is my insides are liquefying. I've been poisoned. Dear God, I'm done. So they tell you one second into the next episode that she's dead. But like also, I didn't get the sense they felt like this was a real cliffhanger. I mean, she no. was clearly dying, right? Like it, it, In the category of the doing a cliffhanger, she's just unconscious. Like I think that, the cliffhanger the cl- is, what the fuck? Yes. But not, is she dead? Yeah, the is she dead is, that is the, it, well, so many shows do, he come, breaks in and she sees that she's unconscious and unresponsive on the floor, and then the next episode, she's in a coma, oh my god, what's going to happen to her? Every show has done that at some point or other. If she's actively hemorrhaging on the floor, eyes still open, coughing and struggling to breathe, whatever else, no, she's dead. They're making that very clear right now. And the next episode's going to be 
falling up from the cliffhanger of what the ha- what happened and why did it occur? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's jump to our segments. Spencer, do you have any nominees for best line of the episode? Uh, one from the back and forth between Bernard, the mayor, and our deputy. I was going to come out to applaud, walking the silhouette, and she interrupts. If you're going to say at your age, you don't get what I brought you. What'd you bring me? Well, just a little token of my gratitude for all that we've done together. With the deputy saying, well, gee, I'm glad somebody's getting something. I joined her on this march of death, and she hasn't given me anything but grief. It's a fun little back and forth that suggests that at some other point in the past, all three of these people maintained a certain degree of working relationship that now seems more threaded than it maybe was back in the day. Um... Again, the same conversation. What did you ever say about Holston? Well, I said he'd be a great sheriff, which he was until he wasn't. I wonder what your numbers say about me. Eh, fuck the numbers. You brought Brandy. Again, same kind of thread. I, I, in, in headier days, these guys may have actually been some element of friends. Um, same thing, actually. I actually like this conversation quite a bit. Here are some other numbers you should consider. Every hour the silo is without a sheriff, the probability of a catastrophe increases by one point. Does he mean, like, percentage probability? Because, dear God, that's been a lot of hours at this point. While we are still we are sitting here chit-chatting, frightening, frightened citizens are arming themselves because they don't know who's going to protect them. Billings is a good choice. Just make him sheriff and leave walking the silo to kids with nothing better to do. Uh, the, this from Jor Mormont. Our trouble started. It was hard on Jules, a loss like that. She showed real interest in machines from an early age. Always figuring how things worked, how to fix them if they didn't. I think it felt good to be able to fix something. I said, a lot of implication in that. I think we've processed some of that already, but yeah, interesting lines. Um, This is from Martha. You know, we scream, we fight, we get mad, but every now and then we should tell ourselves we did what we could, we did our best. Jules tells her to fuck off later, but it's very sage advice that I think more people need to remember. Uh, This is from the mayor to, to Jules. I must tell you, no one wants you for this job, except for one deceased former sheriff and me. Mic drop of a moment in line. Uh, let's see here. This is from between the mayor and the deputy. As far as we know, the silo has never been on black backup power. You think it'll be quiet? Tonight, they'll just be afraid. And tomorrow, if the lights don't come back on? Well, I hope you've got the combination to the gun safe. Uh, also from the mayor, we've always been one catastrophic, you actually read this entire line, the line that begins with, we've always been one catastrophic failure away from the end of it all, ending with them admitting their feelings for each other. It's a good series of lines, a good series of buildup with respect to that. Um, and then just the funniest line from the episode you already highlighted, Mayor Johns, Mr. Bernard, please tell me why the solace spent the last night in the dark. The deputy, because it was night. That's helpful, deputy. Thank you. It's good back and forth. So. Your nominee is the Lord Emperor of this segment. Which one shall you pick? I'm assuming none. No, I'll pick one that you uh, you selected. Uh, best line of the episode. I think that like the the one I wanted to pick, but it's just like it just there was not enough meat on the bone. Was when Juliet confirms that she'll be the sheriff when she's changed my mind. It's a it, powerful it, line, but it's just like it's just so nothing that I couldn't. It's figure. a powerful scene, not a line. Yeah. 10,000 people aren't sleeping right now. Terrified the power won't cut back on. Afraid maybe the groundwater will rise and they'll all drown. Or maybe a bunch of nut jobs will bust out through the top and let the poison in. We've always been one catastrophic failure away from the end of it all. And this just makes everyone conscious of it. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Makes you appreciate the day we have. Well said, sir. Well said. I think it's a great line. I think it's a great moment. And I think it's a, an, an effective exit for a character that is going to be missed on this show. 
Same. All right. We got to award Silo Citizen of the Week. It's a tough one, man. There's a lot of people that are going out and doing their duty to an exceptional degree this episode. I, I mean, feel like I've mayor... already nominated Knox. I feel like I've already put his name in. You've put Knox. I think we got to put Shirley in there, given, given her knowledge and what she puts together in terms of making everything happen. She isn't leading the ship, but she's doing a good job in terms of helping make it drive. I think the mayor deserves some credit in terms of the, the, the almost literal legwork that she does over the course of this episode to explore around, to connect with her citizens, to try to do the best job that she can, and maintain the division of powers that is otherwise slowly fading in the society. I think Juliet deserves some credit for doing almost more than anybody else to make uh, the necessary job of the silo work. I'm uh, willing to set risk life and limb to make that happen. Uh, we want to give Coop an honor. I don't think Coop can get it, but I think she, she deserves an honorable mention just for rising to the occasion and demonstrating that he deserves to be Coop had a great shadow. episode. Shout out, Coop. I, I, I don't think he can get it, but I think he at least deserves an honorable mention for what he did in the course of this episode. Uh, who else? Martha's secretly running all of the lo- lo- lower levels as the power broker that she is, and we're just understanding that now. Um... Whoever made that uh, strawberry dessert really looked like, did, like they did a lot of effort on it. Swimming in sugar. Bad for the heart. <laughs> who, who else would you nominate for this? I think the mayor is up there. I mean, I know that you you had you you had you took some. Uh, I'm, I'm you casting had some, some problems asper- with some of the her decisions as far as her tactics with judicial. You felt like maybe she's a bit more confrontational than she needed to be. Bit too blunt, yes. But at the same time, I think that she did a couple of really powerful things. A, she walked the silo. Two at her age. Two, she made a point of digging into Holston's pick, and I think that she picked the person she was supposed to pick. I think that the the thing that was supposed to happen happened. And three, she made the call to turn the damn generator off. That's not an easy call to make. And First that, time it's it ever looks happened. like, and it looks like that turned out good, and it looked like that was a, a wise investment as far as. You know they're gonna it's gonna pay some dividends now. So you know she made some cup. She made she did some really difficult things as far as leadership. I agree. There's some moments where is it necessary to stand outside of judicial? Well, I mean I I can't. I mean I think you might say no based on some of the things you've you've indicated right. here. But I think we can't really properly answer that question until we know the full history between her and judicial and all of the rest of the sure. dynamics that we don't know. So might not be her, but I think she gets nominated. I'm willing to give it to the mayor for no reason that she died for the sake of trying to do her duty this episode. Assuming that she was poisoned, which is my assumption that it's in place. You think she judicial did, killed her, right? I think judicial killed her is what I currently am putting putting down with respect to this. I think it's what the implication they want us to draw at this point with respect to the episode. That she did this not for any personal aggrandizement, not for any personal power grab. She did this because it was the right thing to do for the sake of the silo. Similar to Juliet, she was willing to risk herself... Maybe more than she expected, but it was at least there to do what was best to protect people and protect the world in which they live in. And unlike Juliet, she died for the sake of it. So for that issue, for the loss of her, for how much we're going to miss her, I think that she should get a few extra points there and get the win. All right. I'll, I, hell, I'll go with that. Let's do it. Uh, let's go with the mayor. But it's the last time she can ever win it. It, it was a tough race, though. This was this was a proper horse race when it came to this. A lot of people were doing a lot of effort to make this world possible. Knox is probably my strong number two, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. in all of this. And Juliet would be up there. If she hadn't punched Coop in the face. That that's just a, <laughs> such. She starts from such a, you know, it's almost like the, uh, the you know, like the Kentucky Derby and the one rate the one horse trips out of the gate, 
Yeah. It doesn't matter how fast they are. They just can't catch back up. That's kind of how she is. Um, okay. Well, plus, there, there you go. Plus, she's leaving a new job and start. She's leaving her old job and starting a new one. We kind of have to vet her and where she's going to end up by the end of this episode. Now. Yeah, we shall see. All right. That was Southern Citizen of the Week. It's the mayor this week. Theory time. Do you have any theories? Anything you want to discuss in the way of but, like what the fuck we just saw? Let's start with the cafeteria, Ben. I want to hear your thoughts. The thoughts that you had with respect to that little flashed image, the image that we've now seen in at least two other contexts previously. What does it mean that the screen, when the power was going down, flashed with the pristine outside world? The image of the pristine outside world. All right. So I am going to operate under the assumption that that is the outside world. Okay. Just for sake of conversation. Please. And that there is some... When the when the image comes in, there is a it feeds to a computer that then changes it to the bleak image that we see here, mm-hmm. right? The power is going out just like I did it. That the sound I did do do do. It's going out levels, right? It's going up like from. I think it, it seems to be going from down to up as far as. Um, the power going out and I guess the sun goes out last or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that the sequencing here is that the lights are going off and the power to that computer that um, shifts the image to the dark, bleak, whatever mm-hmm. is turned off. As soon as it's turned off, that's one of the things on the grid to be turned on by the generator. So it, it turns off quickly, but turns back on, and then everything else starts starts going up above it. And when it, But in, then when it comes back down, it doesn't have the same problem because it, it's a descending pattern. It, it's not going in the same direction. So that's my thought, is that the, the way that the, the, long story short, is that the way that the power is turning off and sequencing turned off the computer that flips the image just long enough for it to to flip over but when the power comes back on doesn't have the same problem okay so it's it's effectively the filter is the last on the procedural list of things they have to maintain and then when that cuts off there's a brief moment where you see the outside world as it is no longer obscured by the powers that be yeah yeah but when the power comes back on the computer that is doing the sequencing, the, or the, the, not sequencing, but the, the computer that's doing the, the filtering, it's already on. The generator's already turning, already has that on. It just kicks back over to main power. It never like turns off and turns back on the same way it did when the power was going out the whole silo. So that that could be, could be something that occurred there. No, I, th- I think that's very possible. I, I'm going to stick out of sheer stubbornness with the theory that I have that the outside world though not toxic, is damaged and affected in some shape or form and that the perfect image we have is actually like, you know, they're giving you an image of heaven to a certain degree as part of your exit or whatever else. And I'm going to go like more like, uh, I don't know, 2001 when they're disabling Hal and he's just going through the last bit of his little programming before he flits to a last like little random programming code that was put into him that was meant to activate later. And then in the process of just shutting this place down and the back power coming up, that program that is built in there, whatever else, just triggered by accident as a result of a power surge or whatever else associated with this. And so a program that was not meant to play in that context in that way briefly flashed on the screen before it was, you know, put back to standard when it comes to this. 
I don't know if the outside world actually looks that way, but I sus actually looks the way it normally looks in the cafeteria. Maybe there's some doubts there too. But I have doubts about whether that perfect image is any, in any more sense the actual real outside world, given the and nothing else, the problems I pointed out previously, and also the repetition and the ways that we've seen it, of how it always looks seemingly exactly the same, and it's always also a perfect sunny day, regardless of the time. That's fair. Okay. Um, I do but, think uh, that I do think that Bernard had a coronary when it happened. <laughs> do you think there will be any, any any fallout with respect to people that saw it? Because I'm with you. People in that room saw it. But are they, are they going to be too afraid to make anything of it, or is there going to start to be a new religion that's developed? I guess no. I, I think that people will ignore it. Assign it away the way people are capable of doing when completely incongruous events occur in front of them? I mean, I honestly think that if people made a deal of it, they, they could explain it. They could just say, oh, well, when uh, when it was shutting off, um, the, the it was like the pixelation on the screen was just fucked up. Like it was, yeah, it was, just messed it, up. It wasn't, it wasn't the camera. It wasn't the outside. It was just the screen itself that got fouled up based on the, the changes in the power. I mean, that, that's an easy enough thing to explain to people who aren't maybe technically like knowledgeable, who you know probably are looking for some way to explain it away anyway. They don't want their whole world to be shattered by this thing. They, they want some simple explanation. That's simple enough. I almost picture the people in that room will have like a religious moment of where in that moment of most profound fear, they saw the beyond. They saw like, you know, the perfect rolling hills of Valinor <laughs> in the distance. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like whatever flourish church, they'll bring that up at church. But that they saw, they saw I have seen the beyond. I have seen where we get to if we follow the, the rules. The before times, before yes. the poison. Uh, speaking of poison, do we rightfully assume the mayor was poisoned? Because that's where I'm defaulting to, that, you know, she was poisoned. Who caused it? I think that's open to debate, but my assumption is, is that it was judicial. And just in terms of Chekhov's gun, I think that random old dude on the stairs had something maybe to do with it. Or, pointedly, uh, the flask that, you know, she was always drinking out of from the sheriff's pouch. Someone may have put something in there. I mean, it seems that they wanted you to toss the idea that it could be natural because of the blood and spittle out of the mouth that you know, here, Hollywood has adopted a sort of like when blood some the mouth. blood and foam from the mouth mean poison. And every one of these shows, like if yes. somebody is like convulsing blood and foam specifically out of the mouth, they've been poisoned pretty much. every yeah. time. I feel like, I feel like they could have gone without that detail and left it vague. I didn't think they wanted to leave it vague. I think they wanted no. you to know she was poisoned right away. I mean, this is approaching Joffrey Baratheon levels of poison right here in terms of just the physical effects that we were seeing. It's like, no, this is a person that was poisoned. They're not trying to hide that fact. Yeah, see, like, did... her, her tongue had swollen. Did you see that? Yeah. It, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. It, and I think from what they framed for us in this episode, the sheriff's drinking, the deputy's drinking container seems an obvious vector. And then who placed it there or who did that? Judicial has a motivation. Bernard has a motivation to, to the degree those two are different things. Random guy on the stairs. Don't know if that's entirely random or whether that has something to do with it, but seems notable to remember for later. Yeah. I almost hope that the guy on the, on the, uh, on the stairs was really just a guy on the stairs because like it was so random at such a tense time that I could, I, could, I watched like it was, as I went through the recap, I kind of was watching your face and you were like, you kind of cocked your head like, there's got to be something. To, like, they couldn't have just thrown, 
that <laughs> it, tone deaf moment. It's the editing economy thing, yeah. It's like super tone deaf moment in the middle of this highly tense scene for no reason, right? Like, come on. It's in the when I was watching that, I did the, the you know the Spencer Headcock when that happened, whatever else. And my two thoughts were either A, that's something that's so random it's notable for later, or B, that's just an interesting moment of world building that got through the editor. Yeah, it's like yeah, maybe it's like a lot of editors are going to polish that off because it doesn't fit perfectly the tone, but that would be happening as a constant bit of like what's happening in the world at that given moment. Maybe. All right. Anything else in theories you want to discuss? Uh. Are Bernard, are Bernard and Judicial actually just one and the same? Or, I mean, they're clearly allies. They're clearly sharing information. But is Bernard just an operative for Judicial or just even a, a senior position to power that is providing information coordinated with Judicial as a result of his role in IT? Because this episode seemed to imply at several moments that there's... If they're not utterly indistinguishable, they're at least very closely allied. I enjoy this wizard behind the curtain thing they're doing with judicial right now, because like it really does prompt a lot of theories about like what the hell could be going on. Um, Yeah. That's one I can't answer, but that's a, I I enjoy that for you right now, all bets are off on judicial. I, I, I'm all of my paranoia is going off to an 11 right now when it comes to this organization. Anything else? We've hit a lot of other ones. We've discussed the system and it's ability to be fixed. We've discussed the steam pipe source. It's notable. The steam pipe source heavily, again, emphasized something that's been discussed previously, that these people really don't know shit about how this thing runs. No. They really don't. They, they, so much knowledge has been lost, either it be in the 140-year-ago revolt or just sheer process of time from how long this thing has been going, seemingly past its intended operating life. We're reaching a stage of when they're all... I, I joked earlier about machine spirits. We're going to reach the point a, a few generations from now where they're just going to start worshipping these things, treating them as divine creations without understanding them at all. And they're not that far removed from that, from how much they're losing key knowledge about how to make this thing work, or particularly how to help it if it isn't working. Yeah. No, but that that's really it for me. Uh, most or less the things we talked about during the course of the episode. And it's it leaves... The obvious thing for discussion, and I'm, you already referenced it, that we're going to get I'm focused on, I'm sure, at the start of the next episode, is what in the hell happened to the mayor? Who did it? And a, more importantly, who is the deputy going to assume did it? Because I'm assuming he's going to be on the warpath about this. You would think. Yeah, I. Um, the part about what they don't know is interesting to me because it's clearly a society that like does have some level of baseline knowledge mm-hmm. about you know how to read, how to do simple mathematics how to, you know, do some level of medicine and like, you know, I mean, they could, they could deliver babies seemingly safely. Like they're, they do have some embedded knowledge. Right. And it feels like to me, that's enough knowledge to start seeking out answers to some of these unknown questions that like just seem to be floating out there. So the fact that they're not makes me feel like the fact that they don't know where the steam comes from, is more about knowledge suppression than it is about truly not knowing because they're not allowing the natural evolution of learning that would occur in that situation where there'd be something like that, where it got lost in the civil war or whatever. And they would read, they would rediscover it. They'd figure it back out. There'd be people on it, researching it, learning, but that stuff's not happening. And you have to ask why. 
Yeah, 100%. A, they're, they're straight up suppressing prior knowledge. We've seen that. Relics are banished. What's talk, what occurred before 140 years, all the records were deleted kind of thing. Knowledge is suppressed, certainly. But as you said, curiosity is not encouraged, and if anything, it is outright punished in a way that prohibits any uh, rediscovery of knowledge, but also just re-development um, of new knowledge when it comes to any of these fields. That is, at best, a very conservative society, if not an outright uh, repressed one. Yeah, completely agree. All right, anything else you want to talk about for episode three of Silo? No, no, I'm looking forward to the next episode, man. All right, yeah, so this was a fun one that really did change the pace a little bit, showed that the show could stretch into different genres, I feel like. Makes me excited for where the rest of the season's going to go. I'm excited to talk about it with you, Spencer. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. Tell us what you think. You can go to facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. I'm really active there. Or X, you can find us at Mangum Talks. Or you can go to Twitter or uh, uh, MangumTalks.com. Uh, we have a contact form there that you can fill out to let us know what you think. And by the way, when you're giving us your feedback about this show or anything else we've done, let us know what else you want to you wanna want us to review or things you'd like us to dive into because I think we're gonna about we're gonna fall off a cliff with new television here in about the next three or four months. And when that happens, uh, Spencer and I are gonna have to find some back catalogs of stuff to review. So we're taking how about this? We're like a DJ at a wedding. We're taking taking suggestions. Um, let us know what you think, what you want us to cover. We're happy to to think about that stuff and we'll find something to to keep the channel going during the dark period that the strike is uh, giving us here. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review episode four. So, see you then. Woo!